tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, Tipperary students are the winners of the 59th Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. We'll hear one man's heartbreaking story of abuse while a student at Rockwell College. An update on the fight for St. Bridget's services in Carrick and Shore. We'll be talking sport. We'll be talking global politics with Thomas Conway. And uh, what about it being uh, Blue Monday as well, the most depressing day of the year. And I'm delighted to say that uh, Gina... Uh, of the champions will be with us live in studio towards the end of the programme. So looking forward to that. All of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 and you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. A quick look at uh, what's making headlines in your newspapers today to the Irish Times, first of all, and their uh, lead story, A Pathway to Permanency should be opened up for tens of thousands of Ukrainians, clearing the way for them to ultimately apply for citizenship or long-term residency, the new Minister of State for Integration has said. So I wonder what do you think about that. Also on the Times today, right across the newspapers, in fact, we're hearing that uh, Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Dunn, who failed to properly record election expenses paid by a friend who was later included on a list of names he submitted as suitable to head up a state task force headquartered in his constituency. Now, Mr. Dunn, who uh, last night apologised at length for submitting the inaccurate returns, which he believed were accurate and true at the time that he put them in. Also interesting to read today that the ranks of Ireland's super rich have swollen in the past decade. Uh, That's according to a new study by Oxfam Ireland, uh, with the wealthiest 1% of the population accumulating 70 times more wealth than the bottom 50% since 2012. Yeah, interesting reading today. Um, The Irish Daily Mail, uh, they're leading with cabinet tension over tax breaks for developers and tensions are growing in the uh, coalition over controversial proposed tax breaks for developers being used to fix the housing crisis to the Irish Examiner. And uh, they're leading with that dreadful uh, plane crash in in Nepal. And seemingly an Irish citizen is believed to be among the 68 uh, passengers confirmed dead in that plane crash. And it's Nepal's uh, deadliest aviation uh, disaster in three decades. Finally, a look at the Irish Independent. And their lead headline, the global investment funds that own our nursing homes. Well, just 15 nursing home groups own 40% of all private nursing home beds in this country. An unpublished government report is uh, revealing today. The first major audit of the sector shows that global nursing home groups and uh, international investment firms, along with a few large-scale Irish operators, own 10,720 of all the private beds in 
Ireland. So that's a quick look at what's making uh, headlines today in your newspapers. 1800-938-007 if you want to uh, comment on any of that. Now, there was some great news last Friday that a Tipperary school was deemed the overall winner in this year's BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. Two students at the Abbey School in Tipperary won the overall prize with their study on the impact of second-level education on key aspects of adolescent life and the development. The winning students, uh, sixth-year pupils, Shane O'Connor and Liam Carew, uh, they join me now. And good morning to you both. Morning, friend. Uh, good good, good to morning. talk to you today. Shane, can I start with you? Where, where did the idea for this project come from in the first place? Well, I suppose we always had the ambition to enter the Young Scientist. And then as we were coming to the end of our junior cycles, so in third year, we were sort of reflecting back on our first three years in secondary school. And we saw that we had different experiences to our, our classmates and even people in other schools. And I suppose it was the curiosity in that that really led us to start this study. So, Liam, this has been going on for some years then. You've been putting a lot of time and effort into this. Yeah, definitely. It's been a lot of time over the last three years. Our main, um, our main method of research we conducted each November. So November 2020, November 2021 and November 22 where we surveyed over 2,500 students across the, the three years. Um, so, yeah, quite a bit of time and effort, but uh, definitely paid off in the end. And, Liam, the fact that you were trying to do this in the midst of a pandemic as well, did that hinder you in some way? Um, no, it's, to be honest, I think it started as a benefit to our study overall, as um, we were able to keep track of students and how they were doing within school environments, both in terms of their physical health, their mental health, and also their social development where the track from the start of COVID, how students were doing, and now the most recently, two months ago, as, as looked at them about the COVID pandemic. Uh, Shane, it was an awful lot of people you included in this study. How many students and teachers? So overall, over the three years, it was 2,500 students and 220 teachers. And was that right across different kinds of schools? I mean, DESH schools, for example, were they included in this too? Correct. So we included all our different major school types girls' schools, boys' schools, and then mixed schools, both DESH and non-DESH. And did you find a very big difference between the different kinds of schools? We did, yes. And one of our key findings was that in the DESH school, um, they rated sort of lower um, in the first wave of the study. But then between wave two and wave three, they'd actually taken action to correct that. And we saw that that improved their physical health. And then as well as that, it strongly correlated with an improvement in their social interaction and their, physic- and their mental health as well. So we saw that one simple action really had a, an exponential reaction. It's very interesting. Liam, what about the whole social out- outlet? I mean, what did you hear back from students on that? Yeah, so social development and social interaction was definitely the most heavily impacted area on students during the pandemic. Obviously, being taken out of school, working their friends every day. Um, so this was most heavily impacted. And this is strongly correlated uh, with students' physical health and also their mental health. So students who rated their social interaction lower during the pandemic, they also, um, those students also rated lower in terms of their physical health, mental health. And it's good to see that as we move out of the pandemic, um, all three areas are improving. Shane, did social media play any part in this? Um, I suppose it plays a part in everything, definitely. But during the pandemic, it was the only way for students to stay interacting with each other. So I suppose it lessened the, the impact of the pandemic, but it still didn't make up for the social interaction that you do get in school. Liam, teachers obviously were a great help to you along the way where this is concerned. 
definitely we're, we're very grateful to all principals and our own principal here in schools in Kylie um, that we were able to distribute the survey around the country and um, get the responses. It was important to get permission from the principals to distribute the survey within the schools. Um, yeah, and also then as we, we conducted a teacher survey in our most recent way, so over 220 teachers responded to that. We were able to compare um, the teachers and the students' uh, response to our survey, so they were very helpful, yeah. And Liam, the kind of questions you put to the teachers, I mean, how did that differ from what you were saying to the, the pupils and the students? Um, so the teachers had a shorter, I suppose, more simpler um, survey to answer to, but in essence it was a very similar survey. We wanted to gain a teacher's perspective on how they feel their students were coping in school, especially throughout the pandemic, and then we could see what the students actually felt. Shane, will this be published that the ordinary members of the public can have a look at this? Because I would find this most interesting. Definitely, yeah. That's the next step now, so we hope to do that soon. Yeah, well, I hope so indeed, because I'm looking forward uh, to that. Did you ever imagine that you'd come out overall winners of this, Shane? Um, Well, I suppose we had lots of rounds of judging now on Friday afternoon, just before the award ceremony. And we had 13 judges on Friday, which is really an awful lot of judges. Um, but it was such a great experience, you know. So we knew we were sort of in the, win- the, the running for a, a top prize, but we didn't know it was going to be the top one. Well, it certainly was the top one. We're so proud of you in uh, Tipperary. Um, Liam, you, you're going to be celebrating, I would imagine, for, for some time on this. You have a, a rather special day ahead of you, haven't you? Yes. Today we have the, the homecoming in the school at 11 o'clock. Uh, very lucky. Very much looking forward to it now and to, to meet the students again and all the teachers and the wider public here in TIPS. So, yeah, it'll be great. Right. And, and Shane, what about this? Will this uh, impact on what you're deciding to do in third level and the like? I mean, what, what, you, you're not going to just leave this now, are you? That's correct, yeah. I think definitely now sociology, psychology are definitely important factors for us going into third level. So we, we need to really have a look at that now and make some big decisions, you know. Yes. And uh, what about you on this, Liam? I mean, will it determine, determine what you're going to look at in, in third level? Uh, similar to Shane, I suppose. I'm not fully decided on anything yet, but um, after all our research on this project in particular, it will be uh, not to consider a career in, in either sociology or psychology. Definitely look at it anyway. All right. Uh, Shane, what about uh, 7500 in, in cash? Um, have you any idea how you'll spend that, or...? Um, when I'm not great at spending money now, I think I still have my communion money, so I think it's going straight into the credit union. <laughs> Very good indeed. What about uh, Liam? Are you going to be as, as careful as Shane on that? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. There's a nice sum of money to have. All right, very, very good indeed. And uh, what about representing uh, Ireland later uh, in the year with the EU contest for young scientists, uh, Shane? What, what are you looking forward to? There? It's September, is it? It's September, yeah. So we have two big events now coming up after after this. So we've um, the International Science Forum, which takes place in London in July, which is a really exciting event over two weeks, um, and it takes place in London. Oxford and Cambridge and then as well as that we have the European Young Scientist Competition which takes place in Brussels in September Wow, it's fantastic altogether. It must be very exciting for you. But of course, Liam, uh, speaking of excitement, you have your leaving cert uh, this year as well. Um, I suppose there's a danger you might get distracted a little? Um, no, I suppose. Look, this is this is a big feeling and all, but you have to look back on now and get back to, uh, back to normal tomorrow, back in the class. And, um, yeah, 
Right. Think. Yeah. What What are your fellow pupils uh, saying to you, Shane? Uh, we're we're make, yet to meet most of them yet. Yeah. Um, we've been so busy, but we've got lots of messages of congratulations and, and so on over the weekend. So, yeah, they've been very supportive throughout it all. All right. Well, look, we're very proud of you both and many, many congratulations to you and then uh, to your, your wonderful principal there, John Colley, as well. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Liam. Congrats to you. Thanks very much. Thanks very Thank much you. indeed. Bye-bye to you now. That's Shane O'Connor and Liam Carew there speaking to us live from the Abbey School in uh, Tipperary Town today. And uh, there's great excitement there and great uh, celebration as well. And I know that the lads will be speaking on national radio and TV right across uh, the country today as well. And we wish them the very, very best. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. One of our listeners saying there should be no citizenship for refugees unless they are here the same length of time as any other person who's applying for citizenship, which is five years or more. And that's making reference to that story uh, in the newspaper today where the new Minister for Integration is uh, saying that... Uh, uh, there should be some sort of a pathway for Ukrainian uh, refugees to apply for citizenship. How do you feel about that? Oh, it's three three double one double three double one. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, just a, a heads up that the subject we're going to uh, uh, discuss right now could be distressing for some of our listeners out there. So just to give you a, a heads up where that is, con- is concerned. One man has bravely come forward detailing the abuse that he suffered while a student at Rockwell College. Amy Malloy from The Independent brought us the story on Saturday of Derek McCarthy, a man who was so affected by what happened to him in Rockwell that he escaped to the United States. His story is the latest in a litany of abuse stories from Spirit and Schools. I'm delighted to say that Derek joins us right now live from the United States. Derek, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And thank you so much for making time for us this morning. I know it's very early indeed where you are. Could you tell me, just to begin, Derek, what inspired you to finally tell your story after many years? Um, Fran, I was, I, you know, before the pandemic, I, I, I would go home at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. 2017, I was home at least three times. And in 2018, um, I was in uh, Kilkenny. My wife is an American. Uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she had come to Ireland with me a few times. And we were down with friends in Kilkenny, uh, another couple. And kind of, you know, we wanted to give each other a break. So I said, come on, I'll take her down to, just myself and my wife, I'll take her down to the Rock of Cashel. And we were knocking around Cashel and I said, you know what? I want to show you where I went to school. There was nothing uh, planned. It was just, it was, it was a whim. So we had a rental car and I drove down and uh, just exactly what, 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 what uh, my article says. We went through the gates and then it just, everything just came back to me. I just, I, I had no control. 
wherever I went, I could just describe and remember everything that happened to me. And um, my wife, Mel, she, she just witnessed everything. She, she, it's a shame she didn't have a video camera that day because everything just came back out. I just relived the entire nightmare uh, over again that day. Um, I am a licensed uh, football slash soccer coach in, in the States. Um, I was talking to one of my uh, players' parents. I knew he was an attorney. And he told me um, that uh, he does this for a living. He is um, he's a big advocate for child sexual abuse in the United States. And he knew just by a two-minute conversation, he knew. And he then in turn put me in touch with uh, uh, a group in, in, in the United Kingdom and in Ireland. And that was about, yeah, close to four years ago that... Uh, I started this journey. Can I take you back to the? Uh, can I take you back to the very beginning, uh, Derek? You were, I suppose, destined in a lot of ways to go to Rockwell College because it was a tradition within your family, wasn't it? It was, yeah. My grandfather, my father, all my brothers. I do believe my uncle was there for a stint too, but it was just it was something that I knew from probably the time I was. You know, as far back as I can remember, probably six, seven, I knew I was going to Rockwell. It was just it was something that, yeah, I was destined to go to Rockwell. And in 1976, that phone call came to say that you were being accepted into Rockwell College. Initially, when you got there, were you happy? I was, yeah. Um, I, was, I, I did well in, in, in studies. Uh you know, for an 11-year-old boy, I was studying Latin, French, Spanish. Mm. I was very good at languages. Um, I'd been to the Soviet Union in, in 79 with the school. Um, I went on a trip to Italy. Um, I was in the choir. Uh, I was a solo singer. I, I, I performed at the Cork Choral Festival. Um, and I sang solo but the, the entire student body many times. Uh, musically, I was, I was definitely up and coming uh, in Rockwell. I was, I was doing very, very well. My, my, my grades, my, my, my test results, all that stuff. I was, I was, yeah, I'd say my dad was definitely getting his money's worth. Tell me what happened then that things began to, to, to change. Um... One night, um, during study, study hall, I was called out. You know, back then we had prefects. Yes. They were usually senior. You know, if I was second year, one of my prefects would have been fifth year, sixth year. Uh, he, he approached me during study hall one night. He asked me to go outside. One of the priests wants to see me. And uh, that's when, that's the very, very first um, recollection of, of uh, child sexual abuse that happened in my life. And tell me, the effect of that on you at that young age, Derek, was what? Uh, horrific. Um, you know, <laughs> you can probably just tell by my voice right now, you know. As a parent, I, I, I truly couldn't imagine... Uh, the feelings if, if, if my, my father had found out 
baggage then, you know, the way I am, I'm, I'm a parent. Um, you know, stepping out of the box and looking inside for me, it, 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 it was, it was a, a, an action, emotion that uh, completely changed my life for the rest of my life after that. It, it, I look back at it now and... Yes, I can talk about it, but deep, deep inside of me, you know, it wants to still be buried. But, you know, after 40 plus years, I'm 58, you know, we're talking 47, 47 years. I've walked around with this in my in my back pocket, so to speak, and it's been trying to get out and out and out. And I've talked about it many times throughout my life, but just give it little glimpses, little bits and then bury it again. And I think it was destined to come out because that trip back to Rockwell, um, it, it, it was coming out and it, it was never going back in. It was definitely coming out. It, it had to come out. And, you know, you go through life with this type of stuff. You you do bury it and it goes, it goes so deep. I remember when I first started this journey, I'd wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and, and like, oh, my God, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then, and then you just remember and other stuff comes out because when you're in this type of situation and you bury it so deep that you convince yourself that it didn't happen. So then you can survive. I mean, it was a part of the survival mode, I would say. At least it worked for me. You know, leaving Ireland and burying it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. But again, like everything else, the truth comes out and and it did come out. And I'm sitting here talking to you this morning having a cup of coffee and I'm, I'm proud and I'm glad it came out. Um, I, I probably think now I'm the strongest I've ever been in my life, Fred. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. There was three priests and, and one lay person. Uh, one priest you thought was a, a friendly sort of a guy and so much so that you trusted him, you went to him, but he ended up being an abuser as well, Derek. 100%, yes. Um yeah, I remember distinctly the night that I went and talked to him about this and he kind of brought me under his wing. But, um, you know, when you're so young and you're so desperate to trust somebody, it was it was a thing that I wasn't telling my parents. I just don't know why. You know, eventually I did. But, you know, in that type of situation, you're so young, you're so gullible and, you know, you're begging for somebody's kind of trust, somebody to, to just make all of this stop. And then... Of course, you know they turn around and, and do the same thing that the that the prior person did, and you know you're kind of getting. Look, I'm going to tell you this, friend. I do believe it was a ring. I do believe that everybody at Rockwell, as regards the the, the faculty and and the priests, they knew about this. They 100% knew about this. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was talking to somebody, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off no, there. No, no problem. You you were talking to somebody, Derek, yeah? I was talking to somebody from Sardinia. My phone has actually, since this, um, since this article came out, my phone has been nonstop. I got a call from a, a former student, a lovely, lovely human being, called me yesterday from Sardinia. And definitely knew. He's actually offered his support in this case. I won't mention his name for mm-hmm. his privacy. Mm-hmm. Um but I talked to him for about an hour and a half yesterday via the, you know, WhatsApp video call. And the, his memory and his recollection of, of times, actions, dates, names, places was just 
he brought so much back to me yesterday. That that uh, two-hour call or an hour-and-a-half call from Sardinia. He's an Irish lad, went to Rocco. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, and I do believe this, this man uh, will definitely help me because he, he knows he knows dates, times, places. I, I couldn't believe it yesterday. Just out of the blue, I got a, um, an email. He contacted the Independent, and they put him in touch with me. And within 15 minutes of receiving that email, we were talking for an hour and a half yesterday. My God. One, one of the many... Everybody knew. Everybody of, knew. One of the many aspects of your story that I found heartbreaking has to be the fact that the story got out among the students and then you were victimised by some of your fellow students as well. Yes. And that, that still haunts me today. That's, that's an area that I'm just starting to deal with now. You know, after the, after the, the flames, I guess, you know, when things start to simmer down a bit. Yeah, it, that, that was a horrific, that was as scary, if not more scarier, to be honest with you. You know, I dreaded going back because I never had a minute's peace, so that, that can be very traumatic also. You know, you're getting bullied, you're getting beat up, you're getting name-called, um... Yeah. <laughs> uh, God help those people if they're sitting here or they've read my article, you know, because I've often thought about them and I'm not, uh, you know, there's, there's, there, I am a human being that would never do that to anybody. And I, yes, I understand that we were all young in school, but it surely has to haunt them because they were brutal. I mean, you talk about brutality when the entire school, and I'm not saying the entire school, but I would say 80%, at least at least 80% of the students that were in my year were bullies. And when you talk about bullying and hazing, you know, it's one to be, to be getting sexually abused by, by priests, but then you turn the coin over and then there's your fellow students and schoolmates bullying you and hazing you. And, of course, yes, they were young. They didn't understand what was going on. They heard rumors. That's all they heard. But they ran with it. And there's 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 a couple of them that I have thought about, especially since this story came out. And I've said to myself, I wonder how they're feeling, thinking about or reading the, about this article. Because there are a few of them that were definitely ringleaders and enjoyed the fact that I was going through this stuff and just didn't care, just bullied every day for, for two, three years. Because it took a while for me to get the... the, 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 the the gumption to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to leave here at 8 o'clock tonight and I'm never coming back. And that's exactly what happened. And you you attempted to take your own life uh, at times as well, Tarek. Uh, yeah, there was, there, was, there was a couple of bits and pieces and a couple of times I did that. I, 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 and most people, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Dublin and people will remember a couple of times, yeah, I wasn't going back. I didn't want to go back. So I did I did what I had to do to make sure I didn't go back. But unfortunately, it never worked out. And I'm glad it didn't work out because, Fran, that, that's not the answer, right? The, the, the answer is to take this stuff kind of head on and confront these people and do exactly what I'm doing today. So so thoughts of that kind of have left my body and left my... And I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that I'm sitting here talking to you today about this. When eventually you told the story to to your dad and uh, to your family, what what was their reaction? Because I mean, this this school to them was a a, a vital 
important part of family history and it was so important that you would be part of that history. How, how did they take that, Derek? Oh, my dad was heartbroken. Was he? My, my dad was just heartbroken. I know he was. He's gone now. He passed away in 2017. It was one of those things where it, when I did talk about it with my dad initially, you know, his initial reaction was to go get the brothers out, right? But shortly after that, I went to school in Dublin, and shortly after that, I was blessed, and, and <laughs> it's 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 pretty ironic. I was born in Chicago, but I was raised in Dublin. I only lived in Chicago for a month, so I lived my entire time in Ireland as a United States citizen. I never had an Irish passport. I didn't get an Irish passport until uh, 2013, believe it or not. Um, when I was doing my leave and I had made a decision that I was out, I just I couldn't do it. I, I feared people were starting to talk about it. Even after I got out of Rockhold, there was a couple of lads, um, and they, they were not abusive. Around. There was a couple of lads that... Uh, look, I was raised in Clondalkin. There was a couple of lads that went to Rockwell out of Clondalkin, and... Uh, it was starting to rumor, <laughs> and I was like, you know what, I'm not having any of this, I'm out of here. So I joined the United States Air Force halfway through my leave, and I went to England, joined the, joined the U.S. Air Force. I, I went in under a program called the DEP, the Delayed Enlistment Program, so I was in. I didn't care after that. I knew as soon as the pen was put down at my last test during my leave, and I was out, and it was one of those things where when I went in to do my leave, and I just signed my name and walked out 10 minutes later, didn't care. My goal was to get out of Ireland. So that's exactly what happened. Um, I ended up in Texas for basic training and I, I ended up serving in the United States Air Force and went on with my life. And yes, I would talk about it. There's, 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 there's a lot of people that I talked about it over the years, you know, just people that I confided in and trusted over here and in Ireland. I'm very grateful for, for the, the friends and the support that I've always had in Ireland over this. Um, there's just a tremendous out. Uh, I'm just extremely lucky to have these people in my life that have known about this for 20, 30 years. And then there's people in, in the States that have known about this for 20, 30 years. Select people that I trusted that it would come out. And I just went on about my life. But then, you know, the, the, the interaction with one of the parents from my football team and the trip back to Ireland just it changed everything and then people started to encourage me my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife uh started to encourage me and it it, it, it i was like okay i need to take this by the horns and uh you know put this bull to the ground and come out and face this and then i was home uh, i was home last year last january and that's when I decided to uh, press criminal charges and uh, make a formal complaint with, with my legal team. And then, obviously, last week I was home, and that, that piece that was uh, that was shot in St. Stephen's Green, that was just done last week. And, you know, I'm a changed, I'm a changed human being now, and I'm, 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 I'm delighted and I'm grateful for, for people like yourself, for Amy Malloy, for my legal team, for the, for the Garda Shia both in Tipperary and in Dublin, who've been very kind and very respectful to me for the last two years. Um, I'm a changed human being. I'm a free human being. I feel this weight 
off my shoulders because I have come out and done this. And it's not only for me, Fran. It's for, I know there are hundreds of victims and I know there are victims that I went to school with and uh, they're listening to this and reading my article and I hope they find the same strength and the same courage that I did. But it's, it's, I can't take the props of this. It's, it's the support system that I've had through my life, both in Ireland and both here in the States, that have finally given me the courage to do this. They have pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to do this. And I would say to anybody else who knows anybody else who went through this to keep pushing these people that they come out because this is a, a, a terrible for, thing for any young kid to go through. And it's, it's different now because I'm outside of the box looking in, but there are other victims are, that are in this box and, and they need to come out because their stories need to be told. Um, what these people did to, to young boys and to young girls throughout the country. And there's more and more stories coming out mm. this week. I came out, you know, Black Rock came out. We can talk about this forever. Uh, but this needs to come out and, 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 and their stories need to be told. Many Tipperary uh, lads went to Rockwell in around that time as well. So quite possibly, Derek, there's people listening to us this morning that, that may have been part of that bullying of you as well. What what would you say to them at this point? Um, I would say I forgive them, number one, because that's what, what humans do. You know, you, you forgive. It's, it's, it's very hard to forget that. It's extremely hard to forget that for me. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be standing in front of them. And, and it's best that I'm not standing in front of them because I've carried this with me for a long time. And there's anger. And there's there's just disgust. Um, but as I said, life goes on. You learn to kind of deal with it, forgive the best way I can. And the best way I can to forgive them is to say, look, I forgive you. But if it was done to you, and you're sitting there and you're scared in a room and you're listening to this, come out, come out, tell your story. Because, you know, you never know. They could have been taking their anger out on me because it was happening to them at the same time. I don't know. But that's just possible theory. The, you, your story, I mean, I find it tragic and amazing and just amazing that you can speak about it. I'm from Cashel originally, uh, Derek, and I went to CBS in Cashel, but we always looked at Rockwell as a paragon of virtue, a place where, you know, there was a higher level of education, there was a better education maybe, there was all sorts of extra, um, uh, you know, like music and, and sport and all of that available to people out there and the rugby and all of that. But you're, you're telling yeah. me that for, for a lot of people, it was hell. Oh, it was. It was talking to that gentleman yesterday, that, that very good, he's now my friend, he's definitely my friend for life, from Sardinia. We talked about this in length, you know, how we had opportunities to horse ride, and there was the balloon club, there was music. Yeah. I mean, I'm a musician, and I learned, this is where I learned music. I did music appreciation classes and the, and the choir. And it was a basis for me to uh, to continue with music right till this day, you know, to record and, and play with bands mm. and all sorts of stuff over here all my life in, in the States. Um, 
it was it was funny when your producer called me yesterday. She's like, "Have you ever been on the radio?" <laughs> yes, I've been on the radio many times, both with my music and live performances. Uh, and I'm grateful that I've, I've learned this type of stuff uh, because of the higher education that I had in Ireland. That's a positive thing on it. But but when when you look through my life and and, and my years in Rockwell, you know, yes, I went to Rockwell College. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, okay. And, you know, yes, hell, I would say was hell. Definitely for me and, and definitely for a lot of students, Rockwell was hell. Can I ask you about... You know, they they took the power. Go ahead, go ahead. Can I ask you about faith? Sorry, there's a slight delay, a delay on the line. Can I ask you about yes. faith, Derek? Um in 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 relation to what you've gone through and stuff, do, do, how, how are you about your faith? Uh, I'm the type of guy that a priest doesn't want to meet. I, I, I want to challenge, and respectfully, I don't. But there's many times in my life I see priests, and I want to challenge, and I want to say why. I want to go up to them and ask them and tell them my story and, and ask them why. But I don't. I, I leave it alone. My, as regards to my faith, I raised my daughters Catholic, and I, I made sure they had the sacraments just for a basis of quote-unquote morality, Fran. You know yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, me, nah, I, look, I have what I have in my head, and I'm grateful, and I thank, and I pray, and, you know, that type of stuff, because that's the way I was raised, and that's kind of embedded in me. And I don't blame the Lord, or the Apostles, or the Virgin Mary for any of this stuff, and I keep them close to my heart, because that has helped me throughout my life. But as regards to Catholic faith, nah. That's, that's over for me. That's been long over for me. Uh, I God, I couldn't tell you the last time I was at Mass. I couldn't tell you the last time I went to confession. If I do something wrong, that's my own conscience and my own morality that has to make it right. Uh, so I walk around my life and try to try to be the best I can and, and try to be uh, a role model for myself and for my football players or for my fellow human beings, co-workers, friends, family. I mean, uh, that's just a normal way to be as a normal human being. But uh, regard my faith and the Catholic Church, uh, they took that from me also. You know, they, they took my spirituality and my my religion and my faith. They definitely took that from me. They That, that ended years ago, that relationship with the Church. I'm talking decades ago. That was long gone. Can I finally ask you, Derek, if there's people listening to to us today that have been affected in the way that you've been, um, what would your advice to them be? To talk to somebody, to seek professional help. Now, I never did that, and maybe one day I probably will. But uh, I would definitely talk to somebody, and I'm very lucky, you know, because I've had friends in my life that are top psychologists, uh, the two in particular, I have very good friends in Dublin that are top psychologists in, in, in Dublin, and they've, these were very these two people were very instrumental for me coming out. Um, talk to your friends, talk to your family, you know your support system, the people that you trust most in your life. Talk to, uh, talk about it, and um, you know if these are decent people and, and, and good friends, true real friends that they, they, they will. Uh, they will help them and, and encourage them to come out because you cannot go through life with this. This is no way to live, to walk around for 40, 40 and a half years or 44 years or whatever the, the, the exact number of days, minutes, hours, seconds that I walked around with this. 
and not a day went by that I didn't think about this. It's you have to let it go because it's no way to live, friend. You just it's 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 a very very difficult way to live. And I can and you know I'm not this and that or whatever you want to say. I'm not an expert on this, but I am a victim of this. I'm I'm now a survivor of this. So when you talk about it, it just makes your life easier. It it makes it, it it's taken this weight off your shoulders and you know the support the outcry of support that I've got from Ireland in the last forty eight hours and my friends and family and coworkers and everybody that 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 I know because look when I started to do to do this when I started this journey four years ago, I started to talk about it. I wanted people to know about this. I wanted the world and I want the world to know what happened to me and what happened to other victims, those people in Black Rock that just came out recently, the two brothers and stuff. I have watched this. Any kind of case, I started to watch this in the early 90s. I, I, I just, I did. I would, you know, you know, with Google and all sorts of stuff and all sorts of cases that have come out and people, cases that have come out here in the, in the, in the States. Uh, a cardinal just died from Baltimore. He was convicted uh, he he died there last week, yes. and I, I knew it because, you know, it's just one of the, these things that I've followed my life, and yeah, I would I would I would definitely encourage anybody that has gone through this, uh, wherever in the world or wherever in the country, uh, whether it's a boy or a girl, come out, uh, let your story be known because it it, w- it will definitely um, give you a better quality of life for yourself. And just absolutely finally, Derek, do you think there's a lot more people with a story similar to yours? Do you think we'll hear much more of this? Oh yeah, I think I I think this this one, my story has definitely rattled the cage. Um, yeah, I think other people come out. I've look as I said, somebody called me from Sardinia yesterday, and I, you know, he, he could he could share and, and remember my experiences. Like he was saying stuff to me yesterday that was just blowing my mind that he could remember stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think the story and and it's important that my story came out because I think others will follow and I hope others will follow. Derek, we really appreciate you telling your story to us uh, this morning, and we wish you and your family the very very best indeed. And thank friend, you for talking to me, Derek. Friend. Yes, friend. Can I say something real quick? Yes, please. I have very good friends in Clon. I have very good friends in Clonmel. I was supposed to play in Clonmel as a musician there a couple of years ago, but the pandemic. I was supposed to come back and play two shows, one in Dublin and one in Clonmel. And these people are very lovely. I just wanted to give a shout out to the Clonmel Leeds United White Groups group and uh, Hattie Wack O'Donnell. I know they're listening this morning, and I appreciate their support. And Fran, I just wanted to thank you and your staff for reaching out to me and giving me the time this morning. I think you're very kind, and uh, I really appreciate your time today. Derek, we wish you the very best. Thank you, and good morning to you, Derek. Thank you. Derek McCarthy speaking to us from the United States this morning with that heartbreaking story, absolutely heartbreaking uh, story. I'm not sure if you read all the detail in the uh, Examiner on Saturday, but really, you know, just uh, unimaginable, I think. And as a parent, to think that maybe a child that you're doing the very, very best for. You think, you know, a private school, you know, you scrimp and save for that to put them in there and then 
they're treated in that uh, fashion. It's uh, just horrendous. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Well, such a response to uh, Derek McCarthy on the programme this morning. I hardly know where to start with this, but Kieran was on to us uh, from Cashel. And uh, Kieran says, I'm so shocked and ashamed to hear this. A fair play to Derek for telling his story. It is really testing my faith. And that's it was on 083-311-3311. James, thank you for the kind uh, compliment. You're very kind to me about the interview, but uh, Derek told his story just just, uh, brilliantly there. Um, Okay, lots more coming in. Uh, Poor Derek, it says here, I know how he feels. You never get over it, even with counselling. It's a life sentence. You're living for the rest of your life. You've just uh, learned to live life as best you can. And a song or a smell or something else could just trigger it all. He's so brave and I'm very proud of him. All abusers should have slow death and a painful one indeed. At that, says another one of our listeners this morning. Somebody else saying, my sympathy goes out to Derek who suffered at Rockwell. It struck me that the first person he spoke to um, was a lawyer rather than a doctor or a counsellor. Well, he said himself right throughout his life, he was in contact with various different people who uh, who were helpful uh, to him along the way. Um, okay, and lots of specific questions coming into us that we can't answer for, for obvious uh, reasons. Uh, Fran, what an incredible man. God bless him. What a shower of yokes. Uh, they'll end up in hell. Uh, the good news is that they will stand before God one day, and that's real justice. Somebody else saying, Fran, um, they hid behind grandeur and money and all of that. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And it started at the very, very top indeed. Uh, Molly was on to say these private schools got awful places for our children. We put them inside uh, these blooming gates. Uh, we paid huge money. And then we have this 20 years down the road. You find out that uh, there were evil thugs behind those uh, gates. And uh, lots more uh, coming in and much praise coming in for Derek for telling his story as well. Now, if you've been affected by anything that we've been uh, speaking about uh, this morning, just to give you a couple of numbers, we will have these numbers on our um, uh, various social media platforms as well. But the uh, crisis helpline is 1800 247247. Or indeed, you can text HELP to 51444. The Tipperary Rape Crisis Centre, 1800-340-340, or indeed the National 24-Hour Rape Crisis Helpline is 1800-77-8888. All right, and of course you can speak to the Samaritans. You can call 116-123. Now, say all of those phone numbers on our various social media platforms at this point as well. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Still getting lots of messages in. Following my interview with uh, Derek and uh, a lot of people just appalled, absolutely appalled by his story uh, this morning. 1800-938-007-083-311-3311 for your text and WhatsApp. You can email us at any time and that's tiptoday at tipfm.com. Hello to Vera. Thank you for the lovely message, Vera. That's Vera Power of Bally Neal. It was lovely to bump into her in uh, Kill in County Waterford uh, yesterday. I hadn't seen Vera for so long. And uh, don't let it be <laughs> quite so long again, Vera. And uh, I hope all is well with you. Do you know, speaking of which, yesterday I was, as I say, in Kill in County Waterford playing for a gig down there. And there was a, a gentleman. He was 103 years old. 103 years old and we were happy to acknowledge his birthday but um, he was dancing around the place flying around the place fit man lovely man healthy man and uh, it's great to see it isn't it (laughs) now the Save St. Bridget's Hospital campaign will be before the Doyle Petitions Committee this coming Thursday at 2pm and Councillor David Dunn has been uh, one of a number of people behind the push to save St. Bridget's and he joins me now David good morning to you Morning, Frank. Good morning to listeners. And belated Happy New Year to you all. And many happy returns to you as well, Davy. Um, at last, uh, this is uh, happening because a lot of people were thinking, has this campaign gone away, Davy? Yeah, look, uh, I want, first of all, to thank everyone for their patience in the group, especially uh, the general public had kind of lost face in us uh, after that big push to get over 11,000 businesses. But um, we're eventually here. We're ready, and uh, I think it's very timely. But what's after happening over the Christmas and the trolley crisis? You know, this is what we said. We predicted this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember I did an interview with you on December the tenth, twenty twenty, and in that interview with Kathleen Rice of the HSC, I because I played back the interview, and uh, you know, I said it's never too late to do the right thing, and it's never too late to do the right thing, and that's what they need to do. To, start, to get rid of the beds on the corridors, the trolleys, people, old people, everyone saw the videos of Carmarty where old people were sitting in chairs for 24 hours, yeah. couldn't get a trolley, couldn't get a bed. So in this encounter, we had a step-down facility. And there were 16-bed wards, and those those beds were being turned around every two weeks. We had three times of sales weeks. You know, you're just after doing the death notice. But unfortunately, people... One every two weeks passed away, roughly. So you're talking about beds turning around very quickly. And, and people died with dignity and respect, with, surrounded by family and loved ones. And that's what the point we were going to make very, very strongly on Thursday. That, that's what I was going to put to you. I mean, how will you present this in an effective fashion on Thursday, Davey? There's, there's, there's three aspects of it. There's rest boys which people can't get unless they big borrow off of the, to, to the private nursing home companies. It was readily available on the places. As I said, every two weeks, people are entitled to two weeks to rest twice. Every two weeks, the bed was turned around and the staff were the best in the world on there. And everyone 
will agree with that. So we had the step-down facilities then where people who were ready for discharge, and that's what's causing the trolley crisis, is delayed discharge. They were able to be sent to St. Bridges as a step-down hospital mm. for a couple of weeks until they recovered, and then someone else would be able to come and stay there when they were fully fit to go back home or whatever they could, if they needed more care, then the HSE could set up a family bed in a nursing home for them. And then we had the positive there. And then we had a lot of people, as the death notice, just spread out and a long list of people that have died over Christmas and periods like that. But a lot of those people could have been could have done with the positive care suites. So we're going to put a human side to this. This is not just about beds and that terrible phrase used, bed blockers. What we're going to do is we're going to put a human picture to this story and tell them what we lost, the services that we have lost, the how it affected people. It's three counties, two provinces, and we'll be looking for all our TVs in each of those areas to support us on the day. We've contacted them by email. We've asked them to turn up. They're entitled to turn up at the committee, and we're going to put a strong, a very, very, very strong case. And I believe that the pressure will be on the HSE, will be on the Minister for Health, and will be on the most of all the people, Minister Butler, to revisit this decision. Will there be quite a lot of people from the local area going there on Thursday? No, the committee are going. Everybody that's on the committee, and I know Councillor Karen Burke is going, and, and, and a friend of his is going as well. Uh, Karen walked away in the background, and so was work. And I always, every time I was on the radio, I always recognised that fact. Uh, we have Sonny Paragone, Councillor Sonny Paragone, who supported the marches from day one. They were all active in the committee in, in different forms. So to make it a broad-based committee, this was never a political campaign. This was a community-led campaign, and we were led by the people of the area. And I mean all the area, from East, East Waterford to South Kilkenny to South Tipperary. Have you been assured at this point of support from our five TDs? Well, we've emailed them and have told them that we're there. We've spoken to them and uh, yes, they're all a supporter of the campaign. You, you know, and you've covered it on your own show in, in relation to Nina trying to get the mm. reopened up there. There's a request for Ennis to reopen. There's other, there's a most common TD young, and he was calling for all small hospitals to be reopened to deal with this body crisis. So the pressure is on government and we're going to need double down on that pressure to make sure that they listen to us and they revisit this decision and reopen our hospital in one shape or another so we get our service back. All right, Davey. Well, we'll be watching with great uh, interest and hopefully you might speak to us after your presentation to the committee. But we wish you the very, very best of luck on right, Thursday. Just before you go, yes, of course. Um, I'm from the campaign's point of view. You've always given us a fair hearing from day one to the, hopefully, which will not be the day, it'll be the day that we're standing outside the hospital. You'll be there with us when we're, re- when we're reopening and I, I, I sincerely thank you for all their support and the community that stood with us, marched with us, signed petitions, did everything. And, and, and I know they won't be found wanting if we need to fundraise to whatever it is we have to do to make this 
successful outcome. Well, we'd be happy, uh, Tip FM, to stand with you on any occasion, uh, Davy. And thank you so much indeed for coming on with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Councillor Davy Dunn speaking to us there from Carrick and Shore this morning, the Save St. Bridges Hospital campaign before the Doyle uh, Petitions Committee this coming Thursday at uh, 2 p.m. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 Well, all of the advice we've been getting on the programme from our nutritionists and our health experts and all of that is to get out and walk. But what about doing that and what preparation do we need? Well, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio now by the man behind uh, Hill Walking, indeed, in the county. John Gio Dwyer is with me. John, good morning to you. Good morning to you, friend. Thank and you very much. I think there's a lot of others involved as well, but anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, the man behind it is John G. You have an array of footwear there. Yeah. And is that the question you get all the time? Is it, Before we go out to what, what do we need to wear? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. And uh, footwear is crucially important because... An I've seen a lot of them. The wrong footwear leads to accidents. And the main accident is a lower leg injury. That's what mountain rescue call it. But it's actually a broken ankle. And it can be a really debilitating injury that can affect you for the rest of your life. Because you re- if you break your wrist, your weight isn't on it all the time. Yes. But everything you do goes down through your ankle. So you don't want to do it. You get the wrong footwear. And I've seen, come on, several accidents on the mountains where people have been wearing the wrong footwear and you suspect the mountain rescue then will come and take the person off but you suspect they actually have a broken ankle and anyway I mean even a sprained ankle you know sorting six Absolutely. maybe weeks eight yeah. weeks out of action you don't want that either so I would say get the footwear right and that's what people come to me a lot about yeah if you're setting out if you're starting out mm. as a walker mm. what, what, what footwear should you look at just to begin yeah well I, I have an example there in front of me if you're just starting off as a walker I mean I, the other side of me don't spend lavishly you know okay. and yeah. you can be go into a shop and be sold the most lavish boot. This is the most fantastic boot. For in fact, I, I remember a guy one time that he went online and he bought this boot, you know, and he thought it was absolutely fantastic. It'll suit everything. But it was a plastic boot. It has no application at all in Ireland. You'll sweat up in it. It's totally rigid. It would kill you if you were to walk on any kind of a path. It's not the type of thing to have at all in Ireland. That's for the Himalayas. That's for the Alps. So if you're starting off in Ireland, you can buy an RU if you're only a pair of trainers, you can buy them and walk along the, the green, we'll say the blue way down here, you can walk up in Port Humna Forest Park, right. grand in Something the summer. flat and, if, uh, I mean, flat walk. Is and dry. A, yeah, and dry. Because mostly okay. they are not waterproof, okay. right? right? So, and what you'll find is if you go off and do even if you only go through wet grass with dew on it, you'll have uncomfortably wet feet. So what I would suggest then, if you're moving on and there's going to be a little bit more challenge about it, we'll say you're walking the Grange Loop. I would get those, the proper walking shoe and they have the good strong grips to okay. stop you slipping at the bottom something the same as a boot as well as that they're waterproof as well as that and they're ideal so doing something like the Grange Loop maybe going up on the, de- on the, on the Devil's Bit as well as that walk 
walking up on the path from Clohean, that kind of thing, absolutely perfect. You go to a mucky spot and you feel quite good. But the one weakness, as you can see there, it doesn't protect your yes. higher up. It's more so, the size of a runner, isn't it? It's yes, more the size of a it trainer. doesn't yeah. protect your ankle. Okay. And that's the whole idea. Now, on a path, you probably could be unlucky, but in general, you shouldn't fall over. But once you get on off track and onto uneven ground, you're looking at these boots. Much, much more, much better. And you can see then, this would be just the light trekking boot, right? Mm -hmm. And that's very handy. And it's not, you can see I can twist it. It's flexible, yeah. Yeah, it's flexible. So what what you find about that is you can walk, it'll protect your ankle, you can walk off road and that uh, on it. And if you do happen to be walking on a road, it has some flexibility or on a track. It doesn't kill you quite quite as much. But that's the sort of boot I would think uh, you would use mostly for or maybe some are walking, maybe you're walking around, we'll say, the aim in a Knick loop out in Upper Church or going up Stephen Amon. You're doing something like that. Uh, but again, uh, when it, you, it doesn't have the stability. And right. then you come to it. This just happens to be a very good brand. It's Mindel, it's called. It's a very good boot, but you can have, um, you know, you can have, there's a lot of other uh, brands as well out there. But this is the stable boot, four seasons, use at any time of the year. And you can see, when I go to twist it there, at the toe. It has a rand all around it. It gives you a completely stable platform. You tie it up there to the top and uh, it protects your ankle. And that's the one thing you really want to do. And most of the accidents happen when you're coming down. So it depends on what you're, you, you're, you're thinking of doing. You can probably get away with very low level walks, just yes. the pair of runners you have. If you're going to do, we'll say the, the Waymart tracks in this county that are a bit more challenging, I think it's well worth investing in a in a waterproof pair of walking uh, shoes and their mind did be very good as well as that but you can uh, get brashers or any of those as well then a light uh, trekking uh, boot for summer walking mm. and from the easier walks in winter and but the thing is then then you have the really good boot but if you're on tracks or whatever if you end up having to walk three miles back to the car at the end of your walk these are an absolute killer on the road because they're completely inflexible right. and you clump along the road. So you really have to make yeah. a choice on All that. All right. And you have to get advice. I guess, you have to get advice. Well, so go into a shop bad. and I would say, generally speaking, the biggest problem, and I made it myself at the very start, you go in and you put on a pair of boots. You say they're lovely and comfortable, right? Mm. And then you find you go but you go go out on the hills and it's fine. You're going up the hill and suddenly you find at the end of the day, your toes are sore when you get down. And what happens is when you have a size that's just barely big enough for you, as you come down, your foot presses forward within the boot it presses against the toe cap of the boot and you end up with all these black nails and you end up losing your nails as well as that deformed nails so get into a shop that actually tests uh, you know tests exactly because people have a different width as well as that just don't go in and buy them off the shelf buy from a professional who knows what they're talking about and get the right thing in general I would say if you're a size 9 in shoes you're going to be a size 10 in walking boots very interesting Interesting indeed. You also have a bit of a weapon with you. Yeah, I have indeed. Um, you see that? You see, <laughs> for for uh, beating pr- uh, presenters over the head that don't uh, that don't ask the right questions. So tell me about this. This is a walking stick. It is, is it? Yeah. yeah. But again, you can have now. You go up to somewhere like uh, Croke Patrick, and you have any amount of fellas selling you hazel sticks and ash plants and that. I wouldn't. Buy, they're probably grand, but I prefer.
fair deals because this is a proper walking pole. And the thing about it is, it takes a, the biggest thing that in the long run, the biggest wear and tear with hill walking is to the knees. You need to protect your knees and you start before you have any pain in your knees. Mm. And maybe I should have started earlier. But this is exactly so it's not, people think it's going uphill, it's at its best, but it's actually coming downhill because you can press forward like that and you press into the heel of your hand and it takes most of the weight from your knees. It also stabilizes you in slippy conditions as well as that. So I think everybody, once you're going certainly off track, you should certainly have these. They're okay going up, they can help you, they make you more stable, but it's coming down, they really come into their own and the great thing about them is then when you're not using them at some stage, you know, you're walking along yeah. a track or something, they just fold up like that and they'll go into your rucksack. Very good. Where, well, where, they, are they, where, where can you pick those up? Well, where? you have to buy them probably in any of the uh, outdoor shops. I would say the nearest one I can think of here is Padmore and Barnes in Kilkenny. They certainly have them. Um, I I'd imagine maybe a sporting dream and Nina would have them as well as that but uh, of course I mean the other thing is they're a generic product you can buy them online that probably goes if I knew if anybody is selling them in Tipperary why don't they just, ring just in because l- we we'll let us know on 83 it's probably one of the few things you can take up without a huge outlay of money well exactly you know you know the way a golf club I don't know now but between the jigs and the reels and lodging in the bar you're not short of a thousand euros I know my own club mid-tip hill walkers 10 euros for the year. You get all the training, all the leadership and everything else. I mean, where would you get value like that? And most of the clubs in Tipperary are much the same. If you want to join Mountaineering Ireland, it's probably another 20 or 30 euros. And you can do it at all levels. And of course, it's highly sociable as well. You can go along and have a chat with people and that. So, I mean, so many people that have taken it up. And I'm saying to people now, maybe you should think it in 2023. They look back and the first day they arrived in and joined the walk or joined one of my walks and they come back to me and say, that that was the moment that transformed my life. Isn't that great? And you've uh, told us on many occasions that whatever age you are, there's yeah. a walk for you, isn't there? Absolutely. And yeah. can I say then that just we're actually, there's a, if you want to, join, to come along and become involved, we have a walking night in Bookwarm in Torles and that's on, on Friday week. And there's a lot of things happening. We, I, I'm actually speaking at it. I'll be talking about some of the stories I told you and some other yeah. new ones as well. But even more importantly, Michael Walsh, who's a great raconteur and he has walked the Camino I'd say, almost every part of the Camino has great stories great stories from his army life as well a wonderful man to listen to very informal as well and then Breed Ryan Burke will be there from Mid-Tape Hill Walkers talking about all the opportunities both, uh, you know, that are coming up, the charity challenges that kind of thing that are happening, the walks the Friday walks, everything that's going ahead in Mid-Tipperary, so if anyone wants to come along, it's on the 27th and it's on in Bookworm in uh, Torles at 7pm and if you come along there and then we're also, it's a great night because we're giving out money to charities as well that were raised by the Hill Walkers Very good. and we're giving out money to Cameo Care, the dementia service we're giving it out to Upper Church uh, Vincent de Paul, Torles Vincent de Paul as well as that and uh, Cancer Care in North Tipperary as well as that so I mean that's all I think you know the social conscience as well you just don't mm, go off mm. and you're a very cheap sport we try to raise money as well as that so that'll be a great night Fair and you good. might even come friend because there's a glass of wine in the oh world, if there's a glass of wine go on then you see I'm easily bossed that's yeah. 
what it is. Your own books will be available on the night. Yeah, John so, will yeah. be selling those. I, yeah. You'll love to see that. And of course, it always comes to me, no matter what. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I get the same for a book online as what I always say. Buy in a local bookshop. We have bookshops in Nina. We have a couple of very good bookshops in Turles that are stocking my books. And we have the book market here in Clonmel. Pop in there. But if you come along, all my books, I'll sign them as well. I'll tell some stories from the uplands as well as that. <laughs> so long as you keep the stories that I would have generated uh, just just quiet and secret, uh, that's the main thing. Um, before I let you go, can I talk to you about an article that you've been involved in, which is uh, talking about the, the B&Bs in this country, maybe the plight of the B&Bs. Yes, absolutely. I suppose then I'm about to take off one hat now and put on my yeah. chairman of Tipperary Tourism. Yes, it has been a huge loss to rural Ireland. And if you think of it, and you're a casual man yourself, especially when you were growing up, they like, uh, you know, the pace was coming down with B&Bs. Oh, sure, we had a B&B at home ourselves in Dominic Street, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Years, so, yeah. that's over, there was over 20 B&Bs in Cashel. Do you know how many are there now? I don't. Three. That's are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So that is one of the problems to develop temporary tourism. It's, you know, to interest Fulcher Ireland when you don't have the midnight capacity. You know, and while as, uh, Cashel Palace is there now and doing a fantastic job, it's another end of the market. Mm-hmm. It's a different end of the market. And the B&B, you know, and you know, a lot of older people have been going out of it. And then I'd say COVID, you know, it was all stopped for a while. And yeah. they said, oh, I can do it without the hassle of it. So I think we need to incentivize people. We need very good grants now and supports to get people in in areas where we need where where we where there's a a, a need. For example, the new St Declan's Way. Mm. There, you know, around Goaton Bridge. There now, they, you, there's not a lot of accommodation there. Certainly, no false Ireland registered accommodation. You go down to Aglish in Waterford, the same thing. And I'm working on a pilgrim path linking Ireland, Ferns in Ireland with Wales. And again, we find in certain areas the B and Bs have closed. So when you're a walker, whatever about being in a car, you can drive into nearest town. When you're a walker, you really want accommodation close to uh, where you're walking. You Very want good. To walk. are there currently any incentives to have a B&B? There, well, there, there's a new, there, there's a new uh, program coming through now, a new legislation. I'm not sure whether it will help or hinder because it will require that every person who is um, setting up a business and letting for less than 21 days will have to register with Falcher Ireland. Now, but, uh, you know, but there's no incentive in that. That's just another burden on people. Maybe it's a good thing, but I think you need a kick, uh, 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 carrot and stick, and you need to get more... Um Behind the investment in the B&Bs, certainly. I think we need a programme, and particularly we must identify the areas, particularly in rural Ireland, that's where we've lost most of them, where there is a need. Otherwise we, it's pointless, you won't get the return from the pilgrim paths, from the greenways and recycling routes, mm-hmm. all of that. And if you're interested in that story, there's a great piece on it in the Examiner today as well. So the main thing from today is get out and walk. So I'd say make, make you know, try to make 2023, when you look back on it and 2030 you look back and say I started walking in 2023 and it changed my life. All right, John it's always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you and all of the walkers as well. Thank you very much indeed. We'll take a break back with more. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007 Join the conversation in Tipperary Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.ie.
Com. Now it's time for our global politics slots, and I'm delighted to be joined by economics and politics student uh, Thomas Conway. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to see you. You're going to talk to us today about the effects of Brexit uh, to uh, begin with. Um, uh, now, you spoke to us about this uh, before, but I suppose the precise relationship between Britain and EU at this stage, it's, it's important to examine that, isn't it? It certainly is, and I suppose we've had a week of somewhat positive developments in yeah. a Brexit sense. There seems to have been a little bit of breakthrough on the Northern Ireland Protocol. You know, I was reading Tony Connolly's piece of RTE over the weekend, and it does look like there is going to be a little bit of progression there. And I think that's probably testament to to both sides, maybe indicative of Rishi Sunak and his his eagerness to get a deal done. But what I want to use this segment to do is to have a look at Britain's future relationship with Europe, because we can get very mired in the Northern Ireland Protocol yes. and things like that. But it, it really is very interesting to see what form the relationship will take and how it will evolve over the next decade ago. Yeah. It's 10 years since the former UK Prime Minister, David Cameron, he delivered this audacious speech to... Uh, to, I think, a group of reporters at Bloomberg, and he, he outlined his vision to promote Britain in a reformed version of the EU. Now, we all know how that turned out. It was laden with wistful thinking, the speech, and uh, little of what he envisaged ever materialised. Look, let's... You have to state it honestly. Brexit has damaged Britain. You can you can unearth multiple statistics illustrating it. Yeah, give, give us some of those stats. Yeah, I mean, my, how, how badly damaged? I just is picked Britain out from? my favourite too. The Bank of England estimates that Brexit depressed investment in the UK by almost twenty five percent over the past five wow. years. That is staggering. Another another think tank thinks that uh, the British economy would be around five percent bigger had Britain chosen to remain in the EU. That's significant. Five percent is is a significant contraction. Just, and where politics are concerned, well, I suppose a lot of the events that we've witnessed, all the ructions within the Tory party, have emanated or evolved directly as a result of Brexit. I mean, we've had five Tory prime ministers: Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss. And now Rishi Sunak. thing about Rishi Sunak, though, is, and I mentioned it there, he's a self-professed Brexiteer. I was listening to Alistair Campbell a little bit yeah. earlier in a different station this morning. He was quite critical of Sunak, but it does appear that he is eager to get a deal done and to move this thing forward. So, mm. And how can that be done? How can that relationship with Europe be healed in some way? I think, essentially, there are three steps to it. Britain has to first normalise ties with Brussels, with with the EU. And Sunak has taken steps towards this. But the Northern Ireland Protocol issue will be crucial in that regard. If they can make a breakthrough on the protocol, it will open up, I think, space for, for other issues to be resolved. Hmm. Uh, and for Britain to kind of take a more diplomatic stance with the EU because it has been quite acrimonious. We have the European Research Group in Westminster, uh, you know, fighting mm. against a lot of the a lot of the uh, the moves towards a softer Brexit. And we do have quite a hard Brexit as it stands. And can, can we just get rid of something that, uh, you know, sometimes people look at it in a very simple way and say, why don't they just rejoin the yeah. union again? That's that's not a, a player. No, here, that, sure that's not. kind of magical thinking yeah. to a certain extent. I think, you know... There, there isn't support for it amongst the British public. There might have been a few years ago, but I think the fact that Brexit has now happened, people have always have almost moved on and, and kind of accepted that reality. Now, what there is support for is 
a closer relationship with Europe. Right. And that speaks to, to you know, to, to this segment. So first they have to normalise ties. The second is build a solid working relationship. Boris Johnson negotiated the Trade and Cooperation Agreement. That's the post-Brexit EU-UK tra- uh, trade agreement. That will come up for review in 2026. Now, by that time, a Labour government will probably be in power, you would imagine, bar a major reversal of fortunes. So there will be an opportunity to expand and enhance that deal and to to bring the UK closer, not, not to bring them back into the EU, but to bring the UK closer to the EU on a range of issues. The third part, and I think this is the most important part, reimagining the bond between Europe and the UK. Now, towards the latter half of this decade, we're likely to see a significant structural reform of the EU because countries like Ukraine and a couple of the Baltic uh, or the Balkan states will probably come into the fold or certainly they're they're eager to make an entry into the EU. So that will provide a further impetus, I think, for for a different relationship between Britain and Europe to evolve. Now, there are warnings about this. Michel Barnier, who we'll all be familiar with, the former Brexit negotiator, he's warned of, of not allowing the UK to kind of re-enter the single market through the windows. You know, that's kind of a... Uh, a, a dire warning, really. So he's encouraging Brussels essentially to remain vig- vigilant. But there is a prospect that in the end, the relationship with the UK will be something akin maybe to the EU's relationship with the likes of Norway and Switzerland. So, right. But are you telling me, and particularly since that you mentioned Michel Barnier, um, is there a kind of a punishment being meted out in some way to the UK for the way they've treated the EU? Is that, is that still oh, there? I, I think that is certainly there. Yeah. I think, you know, they've left the EU now. They chose to leave yeah. by a democratic mandate. You know, they called the vote. It was their fault. And uh, I think the EU diplomats in Brussels are wary of allowing Britain to uh, to extract the benefits, uh, the positive aspects of Europe and take them for themselves. You know, this kind of... Uh, have their cake and eat it. Yes, yes. So an approach similar to that of Norway and Switzerland. It is worth pointing out though, Thomas, I mean, it's it's a very bad thing for us that we're not sitting shoulder to shoulder with the Brits at EU level because they were helpful to us along the way. Oh, certainly. Certainly. I mean, we joined joined the EU in uh, in conjunction with the UK back in 1973. You know, it's it's the anniversary of that now. And, I mean, it did provide a vital forum with which uh, Irish and and their government colleagues from the UK could, could collaborate and work on a range of issues. Now, we have revived some other kind of institutions of the Good Friday Agreement in mm. order to do that. But there is no doubt they are a significant loss at the European table. And for all our, you know, for all for the tense relationship we've had with Britain, they are our closest trading partners and that cannot be forgotten. Yeah, it's worth keeping that in mind. All right, to move on to something rather novel today, I, I, I was taken by your headline, Thomas, to infinity and beyond. You're going to talk to us a little bit about satellites and Starlink and the like as well. Yeah, the politics of space or, or astropolitics as, yes. as some people call it. And you know, for years people talk about space and with a degree of kind of wonder and awe and then man landed on the moon in, in 1969 and suddenly it was this massive breakthrough. Then, however, things kind of stalled. Yeah. I think the US lost interest. They had beaten the Soviets to the moon in this kind of Cold War Cold War race and the, the symbolism of that was very important. But since then, uh, there was kind of a reduction in, in activity. 
Now, however, a new space race has essentially been ignited, but it's not about the moon. This time, the area that countries are interested in is much closer to Earth. It's kind of that... Uh, low Earth orbit is how I've heard it described in my research. And that is because that is where most of the world's satellites uh, currently currently exist. So who is the man behind most of this? Well, people can probably guess it. It's Elon Musk. Mr. Musk. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Musk. And mm. it is his company. A couple of years ago, he established SpaceX, which was his own company, established essentially with the goal of enabling the colonization of Mars. Now, that's... That's still a long way off. Look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cod people. He's still a long way away from that. But what it has specialised in this Starlink or this SpaceX company is Starlink, which is a constellation of new satellites uh, floating above the Earth and providing high-speed communications and allowing signals to be transmitted across the planet. So since 2019, the company has been busy constructing this. This constellation, in just three years, it has launched 3,500 satellite Starlink Starlink satellites. It plans to launch launch as many as 40,000. And the thing about it is, it's playing a vital role in Ukraine's war effort. And this is the really interesting part. So earlier on in the conflict, Ukraine asked SpaceX, they asked Elon Musk directly, could they use some of his portable satellite dishes? Now, he was initially reluctant, but he eventually uh, he eventually acquiesced to them and allowed them to do so. And they've been using it for all types of activities. Now, of course, there's a good reason for this as well, because, I mean, it's not just Elon Musk, is it? The American government is behind some of this as well. The American government is behind yeah. it, it. Allied very closely with Musk's company and, you know, giving him an awful lot of funding. So SpaceX may be a private company, but... You know, in a, thought of in another context, it's probably it, it's the US essentially. Mm. I mean, it receives funding from NASA. Uh, they they cross collaborate in terms of research, so they have this network of satellites there. It's playing a vital role in the war in Ukraine, and it's hugely sophisticated. It's almost impossible to disrupt, Fran. You see. The dishes are light in weight and they can be replaced at lightning quick speed. Right, so if, if, if uh, a military organisation takes out a satellite or a group of satellites, they can be replaced very easily. Yeah, they're it? so prolific, they will just launch another. They'll replace wow. a number. So in a short time. In a short, in a short period of time. Now, they're not the only ones. The US isn't the only country which has placed an emphasis on this. China has plans to concert... Uh, to construct a 13,000 dish satellite constellation Russia uh, it's also in the offing they're going to they're going to try and launch a, a, sm- a slightly smaller group of satellites so other countries are awake to this the EU last week launched uh, another space station up in I think it was Finland in the inside the arctic circle Ursula von der Leyen was up there and there is also competition within America and that comes in the form of Jeff Bezos the Amazon owner, he has his own satellite company, Blue Origin, which people may have heard that. So it all points to the fact that space is becoming increasingly important, both from a geopolitical and a commercial perspective. And it's not just satellites, because when we think of space, you know, you think of things like high-grade weapons, intercontinental ballistic missiles. We spoke last week about Kim Jong-un. Yeah. When he fires those missiles, that is where they travel. They're traveling slightly above the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, are they that high? I didn't realize In certain cases, they will be that high if they're the most sophisticated type. Now, thankfully, we haven't seen any, you know, real launches. 
But they are, you know, and then another dimension to this, and I, I thought this was very interesting. Planets such as the moon and other kind of celestial objects like asteroids, they contain or may contain large amounts of precious minerals and rare earth materials. So wow. you think of things like gold and, and nickel and iron. If countries were able to use these asteroids to extract the minerals from them, well, we could have all the gold we like, you know, if Couldn't the supply was there. Well, what, what about um, jurisdiction over planets or space? or what? what, what is it the, yeah, wild, the wild frontier? It, it is kind of the Wild West. I think there was a lunar treaty established some years ago uh, which governed kind of the use of the moon. But that is the thing. I think there is a lack or an absence of, of regulation governing the type of activities that occur in space. It's the next frontier and we've yet to legislate for it. So that is something that I think countries will be increasingly eager to do. Coming back down to Earth again and starvation once again. South Sudan, uh, Thomas. Yeah, not an easy story to talk about. No. And, and in ways I hate talking about these stories, but I think it's still important to highlight them. Yeah. So again, we're talking about Africa, a continent with such contradictions, land of promise, land of hope, full of kind of economic potential. And then you have this other darker dimension and that is filled with tales of violence and corruption and I suppose most relevant to this topic, acute food insecurity. So South Sudan, a relatively new country, only established in 2011, has a population of 25 or 12.5 million people. It gained independence from Sudan and it borders the likes of Ethiopia, uh, Kenya, the Central African Republic. Just to give you an idea of the demographic we're talking about, over half of its citizens are under the age of 18. Wow. So an incredibly young Very population. Young population. And why, why are they starving, Thomas? Yeah, you see, this is the thing. So it has been mired in conflict since its independence. Like, like many uh, newly independent countries, it slid into a state of protracted civil war. And a damning new investigation in recent weeks found that starvation was being used as a weapon of war by government forces in the country. So this firm, a law firm, Global Rights Compliance, revealed that kind of deliberate acts of starvation were being employed by government forces as well as opposition groups. So it made a plea for international intervention and I think that is what is needed here. Uh, the international community needs to recognise the atrocities being perpetrated and bring the perpetrators to justice. Because unfortunately... These we've seen this in other African countries. These things will just continue to spiral. Now, South Sudan is the 54th country in Africa, the 193rd to join uh, the United Nations. Back when it uh, voted for independence, over 98% of the population voted uh, to establish an independent country. So, you know, overwhelming majority in favour of it. But then we had tensions continuing to simmer after that. The president's Kier fired his entire cabinet, including his vice presidents, and that followed accusations of a coup d'etat. There were a few months of relative calm, and then in December 2013, rather, fighting broke out. Now, a peace deal was eventually signed in 2015, but it was kind of more symbolic than anything else because hostilities and violence have consistently plagued the country in the years since. And just to give you an idea of the level of starvation or the level of suffering that is currently going on in the country, more than 70% of the country's population, and that's about 8.4 million people, require humanitarian assistance. 
and that includes 4.5 million children. So, my God. not easy to talk not about. Not easy at but all. But very important to it, highlight. They'd be very unlucky as well in terms of extreme weather conditions. It, that is yeah. the thing. That's yeah. another dimension of this. There have been a lot of kind of natural disasters, excessive rainfall, drought, all these kinds of weather events affecting the country. And that obviously makes agriculture and cultivation difficult. It makes that entire process very difficult. So, right. so is, there any, is there any hope for South Sudan? Well, look, I think we should always, we should always be hopeful. And I think when we look at Af- Africa on a broader level as a continent, there certainly is hope there because it has soaring economic potential. But I think in certain cases, international intervention is critical. And when we talk about things like a UN peacekeeping force should probably be an operation there. Uh, Other countries need to lend its support because, you know, it established itself as an independent country. It needs to stabilize itself. And I think if it could, if we could transition properly to a democratic structure, that would help hugely. Are there natural resources that they can... Uh, uh, there are natural uh, resources yeah. in the country, yeah. There are. It does, have, it does have deposits of minerals and oil and gas as well, and that is another trend. We see that uh, frequently, prolifically across Africa, whereby country, countries do have access to natural resources but fail to tap them. So that is another dimension to this, that if they can utilise and harness their economic potential you know, they could achieve great things. In terms of what to watch out for, um, Ukraine back in the news again uh, this morning and last night in terms of getting help from Germany and and the the UK as well. Yeah, Britain sent uh, are sending Challenger 2 tanks, which are powerful tanks. Germany last week was mulling a decision over to whether to send similar armoury, Leopard 2 tanks, to to Kiev, and I was listening to to Cahill Berry, uh, the Independent TD on Morning Ireland this morning. Yes. He suggested that Ireland should be sending more armory to Ukraine. And I think we've reached a critical juncture in this conflict now because I think Ukraine's Ukraine success, and I've kind of said this before, depends on external factors. So it depends on the amount of weaponry it, it receives from the international community. A little bit like South Sudan is depending on will depend probably on international assistance. Ukraine certainly does. So that is critical. It'll be very interesting to see in the next week whether Germany makes that decision to send those tanks to Ukraine. I suspect they will. I suspect they will take their lead from the United States and President Joe Biden. Mm, it's interesting what emerged on national radio this morning, though. I thought that we couldn't send anything that was like lethal force to, to them because of our neutrality. Well, I was under a similar impression, but I suppose Carl Berry's point was that it was almost a, a humanitarian gesture, that it was uh, it would be directed in order to to stabilise the country and to try and achieve peace. So, you know, it's it's... It's a difficult one. It certainly is. Would it breach our neutrality protocol? Yeah, you you would suspect it might. You would would imagine so indeed. Relations souring in, is it Sahel? In the Sahel region of sub-Saharan Africa. The Sahel is the the region of sub-Saharan Africa. South Sudan would be probably just below it. But countries like Burkina Faso and Mali, and they're two countries governed by military dictatorships, Last week, Burkina Faso kicked out its UN representative. It also expelled its French ambassador. And both countries are now seeking closer ties with Russia. So this is really worrying. And this points to the increasingly strong hold which Russia have over parts of Africa 
we, we've heard about the Wagner Group in recent days in the city of Solidar yes. in Ukraine. They also operate widely in They're the like Sahel. They're like a mercenary group. They're probably. like a mercenary, yeah. and they are the most brutal form of mercenary group. They're also operating widely in the Sahel. So it's worrying when you see these African countries moving clo- moving away from the West and moving closer to Russia. It shows that... They're not that interested in the war in Ukraine because they have their own problems yes. to contend with. Uh, so watch that space, I would say. All right. What about the markets then uh, to look to? Volatility, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. finally, the, the markets really, they had, a, they had a horrible year in 2020, 2022. I was just looking at some stats. The S&P 500, these is, that's probably the main stock market, fell by 19%. The Nasdaq Composite, 33%. Then you have big companies like uh, Apple lost $846 billion. Amazon, we spoke about Jeff Bezos earlier, $834 lost wow. a billion, billion of losses. So big questions as to, what, as to what 2023 might hold. Will the financial turmoil continue or will the major players kind of rebound like they have done in the past? Now, nobody is certain. I'm certainly not an expert. I'm certainly not certain. But you would hope if global conditions stabilise that the markets would also stabilise because we have to remember a lot of this is affected by the geopolitical climate, by the global political climate. Uh, The markets kind of react to events, uh, to yeah. events in if the no, international I was, I was reading this morning, Thomas, that the markets are a bit ahead of the central banks, for example, thinking that inflation will drop considerably. Yeah, it can be. And a, yeah. a, like a lot, a lot of things in the market is guided by expectations. So yes. expectations of what will happen uh, rather than reactionary to a certain extent. So that is a factor there. And certainly we can look to the markets maybe for a future forecast of what is about to happen in in the economic landscape, in the global political landscape. All right, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that uh, pans out during the year. Thomas, is always a pleasure. Thanks very pleasure, much. Pleasure, Fran, thank you. Uh, good to see you. That's Thomas Conway, who looks after our global politics slot every single Monday morning. To August and Olsikchakt. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today. With Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Sheila, and welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Now, we're with you, of course, every weekday morning from nine. And Derek spoke to me this morning from his home in the US, where he told us about the horrific abuse that he suffered while he was a student at Rockwell College in the 1970s. Here's a little of what he had to say to us just after nine o'clock this morning. This is a a, a terrible thing for any young kid to go through. And it's, it's different now because I'm outside of the box looking in. But there are other victims are, that are in this box and, and they need to come out because their stories need to be told. What these people did to, to young boys and to young girls throughout the country. And there's more and more stories coming out this week. I came out, you know, Black Rock came out. We can talk about this forever. Uh, but this needs to come out and, 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 and their stories need to be told. Many 
Tipperary uh, lads went to Rockwell in around that time as well. So quite possibly, Derek, there's people listening to us this morning that, that may have been part of that bullying of you as well. What what would you say to them at this point? I would say I forgive them, number one, because that's what, what humans do. You know, you, you forgive. It's, it's It's very hard to forget that. It's extremely hard to forget that for me. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be standing in front of them. And, and it's best that I'm not standing in front of them because I've carried this with me for a long time. And there's anger. And there's there's just disgust. But as I said, life goes on. You learn to kind of deal with it. Forgive the best way I can. And the best way I can to forgive them is to say, look, I forgive you. But if it was done to you, and you're sitting there and you're scared in a room and you're listening to this, come out, come out, tell your story. Because, you know, you never know. They could have been taking their anger out on me because it was happening to them at the same time. And that's Derek, who spoke to me from the United States, from his home there uh, this morning, just after 9 o'clock. 1800-938-007. Now, today is Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the year, seemingly. And researchers say the third week in January is when we are at our lowest. It's cold, it's dark, we're broke. No holidays on the horizon. It's also the time that motivation can wane and New Year's resolutions might start to fail as well but there are ways to combat the January blues and Lorna Butler of PDC Coaching joins me in studio now Lorna good morning to you good morning Fran for starts Blue Monday does it does it make any sense to you is it relevant to us should we take it on board I think, well, it originated about 18 years ago and where it came from was um, a British travel company called Sky Travel. They employed a psychologist, Cliff Arnold at the time, to come up with some formula that would encourage sales and marketing and all of that good stuff. And so he came up with this scientific calculation around, as you've mentioned there, factors such as weather, debt, time till the next paycheck, all of these things taken into consideration. Um, And I suppose he created then this formula and based on that, they developed the term Blue Monday. Um, And we can see it, it's showing up across social media, it's showing up across emails today. And I suppose from my perspective and what the experts and the research that I've done say, it's absolutely a myth. There is no... Um, credibility around it. They have uh, discredited the formula and basically saying that there are a lot more factors that feature into somebody's mood rather than just a date on a calendar. Right. But if we convince ourselves that this is a day where we should all feel down and miserable, is there the danger that we will feel down and miserable then? Absolutely. And I suppose where, where my my part comes in is I do a lot of work with thinking patterns and a lot of cognitive behavioural thinking patterns. So if you believe that today is the most depressing day of the year, then you will operate as if it's the most depressing right. day of the year. So your stories that you tell yourself become your reality. And I suppose it's it's that piece, checking in with yourself and, and saying to yourself, just because it's a date on a calendar doesn't really and shouldn't really influence how I feel because that's something that's internal to you not I suppose directed externally from marketing companies yes yeah. but what you're you've told us is that this is a, a, a ploy this is a cynical ploy to make us do something make ourselves feel happier and preferably spend money 
Absolutely. And it is. It's that, it's that like, okay, if I buy something, I'll feel happier. Or if yes. I do something nice for myself, I'll feel happier. And really, happiness is an internal um, motivator rather than an external thing that you can purchase. So I always say to people, on when you're when you're kind of feeling the down and, and the blues, and we all get it, like it is mm. January, December is a really hard month to follow. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So we're feeling the cold, that the sunlight isn't up yet. So I would say people go back to basics. And my, I suppose what I've come up with for myself is about taking my meds. So meds stands for meditation, exercise, diet and sleep. And you go back to that basics and you fundamentally um, look to improve and do what you can in January around those particular areas. And sometimes people say to me, oh, meditation, like I'm not into it. I'm not into sitting down and doing that whole meditative stance. Hmm. It's not really about that. It's about getting out. Maybe it's about going for a walk, which is what you find meditating. Maybe it's like doing some cooking. Maybe it's, you know, doing something that you hmm. like. But Is it to be in you, the moment? Really, it's it's really it? allowing yeah. you to be in that moment. Yeah. And like... I would also say to people, once you're in that moment, then any any awareness that you can bring to your breathing is really important. So just taking your deep breaths and just acknowledging where you are and what you're doing. And that will really help as well. And exercise, moving your body always helps. So you mm. can kill two birds with one stone there by meditating and exercising. Absolutely, um, yeah. It, 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 there is something, though, about the cold weather. And I know even I find it to motivate myself early in the morning and something to get out there. Yeah. It, it can be difficult, can't it? Oh, you know? absolutely. And and like first thing in the morning, it's cold. You stick your feet out of bed. You're like, oh, just five more minutes, just five more minutes. Hit the snooze button. But I suppose it's it's again that mindset of it just takes one minute and I'm up and I'm about. Mm. And it's like it's that little motivation in the morning just to go right. What do I need to do? Where do I need to be? What can I do for myself today? And it's it's finding that. And absolutely, it's really hard. But once you start getting into the practice of recognising that maybe getting up that five minutes earlier lends itself to having that five minutes to enjoy the coffee that you have before you run out the door rather than bringing it with you. So right. again, it's like, well, what what will it give me if I do this in the morning, if I jump up and get up or, or drag myself out? Yeah, I love one of the things you said there in passing. You said what I can do for myself today because I know that when I'm in the show, I'm thinking about all the things I have to do and it's all business and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, to think of something I can do for myself, that's a lovely notion. Yeah. And it's really important. We all have the to-do lists. Like, we yeah. all know where we need to be, what we need to do, what's on the agenda for today. But actually, I will say, how about thinking about a to-be list? So what do I want to do for myself? How do I want to feel today? What what do I want to influence in my life today? And it's about bringing it back to yourself and seeing how can I navigate through my day and give me something that, when I reflect on it, I've really enjoyed about it. Not going to enjoy 100% of your day, of course, but yeah. if you can enjoy a good bit of it, then sure look. Where do you stand, Lorna, on resolutions? <laughs> she has a big a, smile I, I smile, <laughs> I smile. This whole new new year, new me yeah, and yeah. motto. I'm very much new year, same you. So again, it's like this, this whole thing of trying to be somebody else in January rather than acknowledging and accepting where you're at. And, and like New Year's resolutions, it's, I always say to people, it's lovely to have goals to work towards. But if you're jumping in at the deep end, like and you're, 
hoping to, you know, run a marathon by like February or March time. You know, that that extreme thinking. Yes. You're kind of setting yourself up to fail. So it's really small incremental steps. So like, for example, if you're focusing on exercise, okay, I haven't exercised for like the month of December. What can I do differently in January? Maybe if I go for a walk for one morning a week and I'll see how that goes. And it's really slow and steady and really taking the time to build it rather than jumping in going, right, I'm going to run the marathon in February and here I go. Because what happens is middle of January, we lose the motivation. We end up utilising it as a, a way to beat ourselves up with. Of course, and yeah. it never it never makes us feel good. Um, where that shouldn't be the case with kind of those small goals. We should feel like we're achieving and we're moving forward rather than we're stuck. Yeah, one of our listeners, and I'd love you to answer this even for my own sake, because this listener has tried meditation many times over the years and has failed, as she puts it. Yeah. Um, I, I've done the very same. I, I would love to be able to meditate, but the bloody thoughts flying around in my head, it's a constant battle. How, how can you get past that in some way? It's allowing it's allowing them to come in. It's what you do with them when they're there. So sometimes we feel like meditation should be this almost perfect stance of, you know, my mind is empty, I'm in the moment, I'm listening to music, I'm breathing. That's not the case for a huge amount of people. Even for myself when I meditate, my mind is as busy because you've you've quietened, you've sat mm. down and now the thoughts are starting to come. But it's just constantly recognising and accepting rather than resisting. So when we resist thoughts get bigger they start pulling you into different things but it's allowing them to be there so if you're if you're meditating and a thought comes up about something in work it's like okay I recognize that that's there bringing myself back into the moment and it's literally doing that on a regular consistent basis and eventually your mind will start to quieten and the thoughts won't be as busy but it takes practice and mm. so it's showing up for yourself and it's really about being consistent, but not resisting what's happening in the moment, because, as I always say, what you resist persists. So it's about accepting I'm going to have a really busy monkey mind for probably the next however many minutes or hours or whatever and allowing that to be. But that's OK, because every time I think of a thought, I'm just going to bring myself back into this moment and what I'm trying to do for myself here. And you bring yourself back to your breathing, is it? Is, is that Absolutely. What you, yeah. Your breath is an anchor. And like Mother Nature gave us this, it helps regulate our nervous system. It brings us from, um, you know, a heightened apprehensive anxiety state into a calm state. So lots of things um, can be done via the breath. So again, it's just bringing it back, breathing in, taking kind of that that deep breath in and that slow release and that'll start to relax you as well because you're you're in a heightened state when you're wanting to meditate for example and you're like why isn't this working why isn't this working you're actually engaging your nervous system which is going to create anxiety as well so again it's about okay this thought is happening I'm going to take a few breaths bring myself back and you start to relax your body you know because you're more than just your mind you're you of know you I, you have I, a full part I found it interesting since you started to talk about that I just became conscious of the way I am here and I found my shoulders were up around my ears and so you, you don't realise it until you you know just begin to try to relax a little Absolutely and and as we all say there's more than, than what's going on in your mind like you know there's a whole body below the neck and even when you just just take a couple of minutes to check in with yourself again like you said you can feel your shoulders yeah. are hunched you can feel that tightness in your body and it's just about learning to breathe and let that go. Yeah. Has that made a huge difference in your life, Lorna? 
Absolutely. I mean, I started this work back in 2017 and, you know, for I went from somebody who didn't like meditation, didn't like exercise, didn't like any of those good things for myself, but over time allowed myself into that space and really took it like slow and, and try to be as consistent as I could be with it. Um, I find that it pays off absolutely um, because I think once you know what's happening in your body, you can very much be mindful of what's going on in your mind and you can help yourself hugely with that information. Very good. Just remind us of the work you do with PDC Coaching. Yeah, Yeah, so I um, do a lot of work with people in building confidence, helping them to get over procrastination, managing stress, all of those day-to-day things that impact and influence our ability to think, our ability to behave, how our emotions come into that and how they get in the way sometimes. So a lot of the work I do with people is on a one-to-one basis. And really it's about listening to their story, hearing what's happening for them, like listening to where they want to get to and helping them to navigate then through the challenges and I suppose the the patterns of thinking that have been so ingrained. Sometimes we don't believe that we can we can do it differently until we change perspective and until we open ourselves up to seeing it a little bit differently and challenging ourselves a little bit differently. And that's the I suppose that's the journey I go on. With, with people. Yes, and you're of no doubt that we can change like that. We can. Absolutely. Yeah. The mind can be reprogrammed. We know this from neuroscience. Um, it does take consistency and it takes a, a huge amount of awareness as well. And that's what I, that's what coaching is about. And that's what I try to do is create that awareness for people around what's actually happening for them and give them, giving them that because you're empowering somebody then. Because a lot of the work that's happening in coaching is about looking at what's going on internally. So again, like the whole Blue Monday, when we when we strive to, to go outside of ourselves and buy the next, you know, handbag or buy the next pair of shoes or, you know, go on the next holiday, mm. like you bring yourself with you. Like if you're not happy here, you're not going to be overly happy in Italy. You know what I mean? So again, <laughs> That's a very good you, point, you might you might enjoy it, might be it warmer, for a few but days. <laughs> exactly. But you bring yourself with you. So a lot of that, a lot of what I focus on is is what's going on inside. Right. Very good indeed. Fascinating. If people want to talk to you, Lorna, or have a look at what you're doing online, how, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Instagram, so at pdccoaching.com, and I'm also on the web, so www.pdccoaching.com, and people can reach out and give me a message there. Right. Delighted to hear from them. Lorna, lovely to talk to you on this Blue Monday. Yes. And thanks very much for coming into us. Thank you're you. welcome. We'll take a break. We're back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie well, it's time for our sports uh, review and uh, let's speak to our sports editor, Paul Carroll, who's at the sports desk in Nina. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And unusually, we're going to start with darts today. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, something we talked about just before Christmas there. Uh, uh, we were talking about the darts that was on the telly, but... Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a, a tip man on the telly uh, soon enough. We've, we now have a, a professional darts player in the county. So um, over the weekend to 
to basically qualify to even try and qualify for the tournaments that are on telly and that you have to earn a tour card with the with the PDC. Uh, the PDC would be the professional darts corporation that you'd see on uh, Sky Sports. Yes. Um, you have to go to a qualifying school and there's 500, 600 players there all trying to, to get just 13 tour cards. So really competitive, uh, really high level. There was two Tipperary lads there for the weekend, uh, Nina's Stephen Rosney and uh, Bursa Kane's Dylan Slevin. Um, and it was Dylan Slevin who actually finished top of the Order of Merit and uh, earned himself a tour card. So he's going to have a place on the professional darts tour for, for the next two years. So which is just a massive achievement. It was a, a, a great, it was a, it's a week long kind of qualifying campaign. So basically it started last Monday over in Milton Keynes in England. And there was like five, just over 500 players there. And um, between Monday and Wednesday, let's say, it was whittled down to 128 players. So the two tip lads both qualified from that first uh, first few days. So they made it as far as Thursday. And then from Thursday, it's just a tournament on Thursday, a tournament on Friday, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And the winner of each tournament each day gets a tour card. And then if you don't win, it's the top nine lads who performed well. So whoever accumulated the most wins, basically, um, uh, throughout the throughout the four-day period also wins a tour card. So um, I was following it over the weekend, uh, really kind of uh, nerve-wracking stuff following mm. the two because just wanting a, a tip lad to, to get a tour card. Um, unfortunately for Nina's uh, Stephen Rosny, he had a really good week in terms of getting to the final stage and getting to that last 128. Um, but by by the time Sunday came around, he didn't have any points accumulated. So you, you, you need about six, seven, eight points uh, by the end of this to, to qualify and you get points by reaching the quarterfinals each day or whatever. You know, the, the further you go, the more points you get. Um, so he knew going into Sunday that he needed to win the tournament, um, which is, you know, a very hard thing to do, mm. 128 very high-level darts players. Um, but he gave it some go. He played uh, a fellow called Keegan Brown, who, who darts uh, fans would know of, um, in the first round and beat him. He's a former uh, youth world champion. And then he played Andy Hamilton, who would have played Phil Taylor in a world final there about 10 years ago, and he beat him as well. Um, but unfortunately, in the third round, he lost six legs to five. So so that eliminated him. Um, but a great week for him. But it was Bursa Kane still in Slevin, yeah, who, who managed uh, a really good Saturday is what really got uh, his week up and going. He had two points going into Saturday. But as I, as I said, six, uh, seven points was kind of the, the target. And on Saturday, in his third round game, he was playing a lad who was a former BDO world champion. And it, it's up to six legs and he was five nil down. And uh, I was following the scores on my phone. And I was like, oh, this is a pity now. He's, he's going to get knocked out here. And he just caught absolute fire and won six legs in a row to beat Scott wow. Mitchell 6-5. And that just kind of gave him momentum. And uh, he, from there, there was no real looking back. And, and he's qualified for um, for the for the PDC Tour now. So it's just a huge achievement. He's only about 21 or 22. I'm going to try to talk to him during the week. And uh, yeah, just a, a great story. And it's great to have someone uh, in Tipperary that we can kind of follow now when the darts run. And hopefully he can qualify for some of the, the TV events. And we'll see him on, the, on wh- the screen. What are the opportunities there, Paul? I mean, is it similar to golf? Is it similar to, to all the professional sports? I mean, can, yes. you, can you make a fortune, I suppose, is basically what I'm saying. Well, yeah, it is, it's kind of like you, you start off with, you know, he's won this tour card now, and that basically is the ticket to go and play the big events. Yes. But um, the thing is, like I, I was saying, like these these big events, you know, it's not like these are in Limerick and Dublin or whatever, you know, these could be in Germany and mm. the Netherlands and England and, and wherever, you know, so there's um, a lot of travel expenses involved, so you kind of have to 
you have this ticket now, but it's kind of what you make of it now. Of Can you go yeah. and, and win win enough games to earn money and things and like that? And sponsorship and the like. Yeah, well, sponsorship would be yeah. a big thing, I'd imagine, as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just brilliant. Like, So he, he'll, he'll have a tour card now for two years, and you know, if he can get into the top 64 in the world, he'll hold on to that. Um, so really, Brilliant. really interesting time because how, how like you know this is fairly life changing I suppose in terms of now you're a professional darts player how do you go about do you know do you still work do you how, how do you pick yeah. which events and things like that so I, I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully having having a chat with him about all that well, sort of thing he's only about twenty one or twenty two yeah, as well to hearing so. that com- uh, that conversation Paul yeah. uh, to GAA and uh, the footballers first of all yeah yeah the tip footballers were playing Limerick in uh, Feather Town Park which is getting a lot of. Uh, uh, use in the last week with all the rain and stuff we yeah. have um, but the the game finished Tipperary 2-10 Limerick 1-13 um, so it finished a draw this was in the McGrath Cup so the pre-season tournament uh, Sean O'Connor got another goal for Tip uh, it was the first goal of the game for Tipperary and then it was a late goal by uh, Rockwell Rovers man Joseph Lawrence that put Tip up by a point and it looked like Tip were going to actually win the game but uh, Limerick equalised with a point of their own so it finished a draw and that meant Limerick actually go through to the final now on score difference so that means Tip are out of the McGrath Cup, but uh, a good showing, a win and a draw in in their two um, McGrath Cup games. So next up for the Tip Footballers is the start of the league, which is a uh, next um, or Saturday the twenty eighth of January. That's against Down, and that's in a simple stadium. Um, the Harty Cup then semi-finals two, two tip schools in that yeah two Tipperary schools uh, qualified that's right friend for the Harty Cup semi-finals so this obviously the under 19A um, secondary school hurling competition so Cashel Community School won their quarter final uh, these were played on Wednesday they beat uh, CBC Cork 113 to 13 points and it was uh, Thurless CBS who were the other Tipperary school team to go through uh, pr- really dramatic uh, scenes in their game they bet St. Coleman's for my one sixteen to 17 points and it was the classic down by two points they get a 21 yard free and it was uh, Tommy Maher of Thurless who absolutely rifled it into the back of the net and uh, you know, as with Harty Cup especially in the knockout stages um, you know, a, a large uh, cohort of students would go to the games and great atmosphere and just great scenes there with the Thurless players and uh, their supporters after and uh, there was another team in the quarterfinals Our Ladies Temple Moor they were uh, up against Ard Skull Reach and they were beaten 122 to 116 so uh, those semi-finals now are on Saturday so it's Cashel versus Ard Skull Reach and uh, third is CBS versus Middleton CBS so the, the best of luck to those two schools very best of luck uh, indeed uh, the under 21 hurling tournament yeah, so this uh, was a kind of uh, a tournament, that wa- a championship really that wasn't planned. So the under-21 this year was originally meant to be just the divisions, so the north, south, mid and west. But um, after after they were finished the divisions, the, all the division winners kind of came together and came to the county board and said, look, we want to play a county championship. So it was organised that a, a tournament will be played and um, all the funds and proceeds from the uh, ticket sales for these matches are going to the Dylan Quirk Foundation. So um, a really good cause there. So the semi-finals ran over the weekend in the under-21A semi-finals. Thurlis Sarsfields beat Cashel King Cormac's 15 points to 13. And the other semi-final was, by all accounts, a classic. It was also in, in Feather Town Park in front of over well over a 1,000 uh, people, I believe. It finished at uh, Mullinahone 3.24, Bursley 2.23. That was after extra time, so a great game of hurling there in Feathered. But it's Thurgis versus Mullinahone now in the final. And in the B grade, Burgess versus Killinall was actually postponed. Uh, it was meant to be played in Bursley, but the pitch was just unplayable.
final um, yesterday afternoon. But the other semi-final did go ahead in Anna Carthy. That was Upper Church Drumban against Golden Kilfiekel. And uh, it was Upper Church who won that 2.15 to 1.16. So really uh, competitive games all around there in that grid. Very good indeed. To rugby then, all the three Tipperary teams were out, weren't they? That's right, Fran, yeah. All three Tipperary teams were in AIL action over the weekend. We'll start in Division 2A. Nina Ormond drew with Navin on the road at 10 points apiece that finished. And Cashel had a really big away win. They're up in Dublin playing Black Rock and they beat them 14 points to 8. So uh, a very good result for Cashel there. Then in Division 2C, Clonmel picked up the second half of the season where they left off uh, the first with a win over Sunday as well. This time they won in Cork on a scoreline of 27 points to 19. And interesting enough, Fran, that game was on in Musgrave Park and uh, Musgrave Park of course is kind of like a 5G pitch you know so mm. AstroTurf so there's a there's no problem at this time of year playing loads of games there just before that uh, Clonmel game the Munster women's team played Leinster women in uh, the Interprovincial Championship and uh, Munster won that game was at uh, 26 points to 17 and Balanaz Mavo Leary was awarded player of the match and uh, Feathers Dorothy Wall and Banches Kate Flannery were also involved but uh, the kind of uh, big story coming from that game Fran was after the game um, Munster's Kodo Halloran proposed to her teammate and Irish international Chloe Pierce on the pitch after wow. the game so two teammates and uh, there's a picture going around of of it happening and the reaction of the players all around so it's not something you see every day oh, uh, teammates sure. proposing to each other but a, a nice moment there nonetheless Absolutely many congrats to them yeah. did, did you see that skirmish the, about uh, the Fosses win over uh, Tyrone as yeah. well and, uh, um, what, what happened? How, how many red cards was there? I think there were six was yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, it, and it was all kind and in the last like ten minutes, really entertaining game. But yeah, there was there was one particular elbow that is is going around everywhere. I, it's it just that it was nothing really short of a disgrace of a kind of challenge. Like you know, Paddy Clifford got a. Um, yeah. A really dirty late uh, elbow into the face, like so. Yeah, not good scenes. But in fairness, um, I thought David Clifford spoke really well on the telly afterwards, just kind of saying, "Oh, you know, the, the stakes are so high, whatever that he doesn't hold any any grudges against him." But yeah, it, it did get out of hand there for a while. But yeah, um, yeah David Clifford is just uh, something else, really. I think he got eleven points yesterday. Just absolutely um, a great picture of himself with his brother Paddy on the front of him. Yeah, the, and uh, Paddy gave a, like, a great yeah. speech there at the end as well. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that, but <laughs> he was uh, saying. And, um, you know, the, the usual speech where you, you thank the officials, whatever, and he's like, you know, they've done a really good job right, right up to the end where I was uh, wrongly sent off. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, unbelievable, unbelievable how I was sent off. <laughs> Very good indeed. Looking ahead then, uh, speaking of GAA, looking ahead, Paul. Yeah, friend, this, this, uh, from this weekend on now, the next 10 weekends in a row, we have either the tip footballers or the tip hurlers playing, uh, on one weekend. And so, sometimes they're playing on, on the same weekend. So this is kind of really the start of the, the busy season now. Yeah. So, um, the Tipperary senior hurlers have a chance at some silverware, uh, this weekend. They're in the Munster Hurling League final. So, uh, Clare needed to beat Waterford by only between, I think, one and like four points if Tipperary were to go through on score difference. And, uh, funnily enough, Clare won, they beat Waterford by two two points so that meant Tipperary top the group and they go through on score difference um, into the final so they're playing Cork that's next Sunday and the time and the venue is yet to be decided but Tip will be playing Cork in the Munster Hurling League final next Sunday and uh, there's also Harty Cup finals next uh, semi-finals sorry next mm. Saturday so as I mentioned earlier Thurlis versus Middleton and Cashel versus Ardskull Reach uh, still awaiting just times and venues but uh, we'll keep you updated and also high school Clonmel they're in the under 19B hurling semi-final so um 
just the division below the Hearty Cup. They've made it to the semi-final there. That's also on Saturday and they're playing Castle Troy College. And again, time and venue yet to be decided. And also before we move on from GA Fran, uh, Ard Finnan's uh, Derek O'Mahony, he's refereeing, refereeing the um, All-Ireland Senior Club football final. So that's Glen of Derry versus uh, Kilmacud Croaks of Dublin. That's next Sunday up in Crow Park. So uh, we wish Derek and his officials the best of luck there. Absolutely indeed. To ladies football then and uh, the National League campaign. Yeah, that gets underway next weekend. So tip take on Westmead. Um, it's on in a temporary venue on, on Sunday at 2pm. So the venue, I'm not sure has it been confirmed yet, but it's at 2pm next Sunday. And uh, Tipperary, funnily enough, they have seven league games to play and six of them are at home. Um, so they have uh, plenty of, of home games and you can actually get a special package uh, through any of the Tip Ladies Football uh, social media pages where you can uh, get a pass for all six of the home games uh, for just uh, 25 quid. So a pretty good deal there. Very good indeed. More rugby action on Saturday as well, Paul. Yeah, it continues uh, next Saturday, of course, uh, half past two. It's Cashel at home to Queen's University and Nina Ormond at home to Black Rock in Division 2A. They're at the usual time of half two on Saturday, both huge games there. And in Division 2C, Clonmel are also at home. They play Brough at half past two. And also just a quick mention for... Um, the Ireland women's sevens team, they're down in New Zealand uh, playing uh, on Friday and Saturday. So um, Amy Lee Murphy-Crow will be involved there. So uh, the best luck to all involved there as well. Very good. Another unusual. Basketball, Paul? Basketball, yeah. We yeah. don't cover a lot, not an awful lot of basketball in Tipperary, but uh, a Tipperary school has made it to an All-Ireland final. My, wow. my own school, Nina CBS, uh, they're taking on, I think it's Kloshta Verlin of Galway. Uh, in the under-19C Boys All-Ireland Basketball Final. That's tomorrow. So it's on up in uh, Tala in the National Basketball Arena at 2pm. So a really good experience for the uh, Nina CBS lads and the, the best luck to them. Very good. Is there a tradition of basketball in the school? Um, not, not really. Like when I was there, I think we won, we won something there. Uh, was it like under-19... Monster or something like that, but it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of growing, like, and I think yeah. basketball is kind of growing in in Nina itself. The Nina Warriors Club was set up in the last couple of years, and they're kind of growing. So it's uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Very anyway, good. well, with your height, I could imagine you being a basketball star. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to horse racing, then, what can we look forward to, Paul? Yeah, so uh, obviously with all the rain we've had in the last kind of two weeks, really, um, racing was meant to take place in yes. Conmel last uh, Thursday, but that got uh, uh, rescheduled. So that's actually going to take place tomorrow now. So it's a seven race card that gets underway in Clonmel at, at 10 past 12. And there's also racing in Thurlis on Sunday. Um, set the first of seven races is off at 10 past one on Sunday. And there's also two grade two races on that card. So um, a good quality of horse racing is expected in uh, Thurlis on Sunday. Very good indeed. Much to look forward to there. Paul, always a pleasure. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, Thank Frank. You. Good morning to you. That's our own Paul. Uh, Carol, who is our news editor, speaking to me from the Nina studio this morning. All right, we'll take a break. Back with more. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on one 938 
007. Now, one of our listeners on to say, Fran, I was listening uh, to your speaker just before news. That was uh, Thomas Conway. And uh, the listener goes on to say, my husband and a convoy of men travelled to Ukraine last week with uh, donated jeeps, generators and medical supplies. They will never forget the scenes that they saw there, but the appreciation from the Ukrainian people uh, for what they did was just incredible. That's into us on 0833113311. Now, this coming Friday, January 20th, Gina and the Champions make their way to the Brew Brew Theatre in Cashel to celebrate 50 years of hits and memories. Gina and the champions from 1979, would you believe? As I say, Brew Brew this coming Friday to celebrate 50 years of hits and memories. And I'm delighted to say Gina joins me online. Gina, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And it sounds absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> After all the years. It can't possibly be 50 years, can it? Yes. I mean, I can't believe it myself, you know. But um, yeah, magic time we had. Of course, I was... I was only 12 when I started. Of course, needless to say. Needless to say. I didn't even think you were 12. I thought you were even (laughs) younger than that. Um, Was it it a roller coaster for you at the start? Because, I mean, it took off pretty quickly, didn't it? It actually did. I suppose I was the last member to come into the band. The band were formed under a different name. So I arrived and then we became uh, Gina Dale Hayes and the Champions in 73. And I don't think, uh, from my point of view, there was no um, big, big plan. But I suppose we had something magic in the band. Um, We had great musicians and the singing and our recordings. And before we knew it, we were in the charts and it just took off from there. And we, as I said, it was like a roller coaster. We, We had an amazing, an amazing career with all going on in the country and outside of the country as well with our, with our, Amazing, amazing time we had. The 60s show bands had begun to, to wane at that period of time. And you were one of the first of the, the, the pop bands, I suppose, largely, Gina. Is that yeah. fair to say? It would be, I suppose. I mean, the, the show bands were amazing and they had brass always in their bands. But I think when we came along, it was kind of the synthesizer came into the situation, yeah. all of that electronic thing. Yeah, and I suppose that, you know, uh, that machine could do any sound that you wanted it to do. And um, it was just a different a different sound. And um, yeah, it was, we just came just after the show bands. It's it's amazing you speak about sound because one of the things I always said about the champions because I was at so many of your gigs, particularly the New Year's Eve gigs in Dundrum, but you had a very special sound. Well, you see, I suppose you and the, and the people who came to our gigs would probably would recognise that we we didn't we mm. I suppose what we had 
we had great harmonies, mm. we had great songs, but I think the thing was we were really enjoying it. We were a great crack. We we went out as a team. We never worried about things. We just there was a great vibe across the stage, and we connected with with the with the people you know who came to our gigs. It was a very kind of a happy atmosphere. I think it's what we had. Yeah, and you had a lovely relationship because I often saw you talking for ages afterwards with, with people who came along to gigs. Are you still finding those people are turning up now at the concerts and all of that? Yeah, well, you know what now? I'm after having a, a very busy, we're after having a very busy pre-Christmas this year and still into the new year now. We were in concerts in Longford again the other night. Amazing, the audiences and the songs and they're getting up and singing every song. and It's a... It's a joy to sit back and I see it very differently now because, you know, when you're in the dance situation and the girls and the fellas and they're looking out for one another and they want to take somebody home yes. <laughs> in the concert, it's like the eyes are on you all the time and they're listening all the time. And um, and then we do requests for different people. We get in requests to sing songs that we sang, you know, way back when they came to our gigs. And uh, there's a great rapport with the audience it's a different and a bit of crack as well you know it's very relaxed of we course yeah hits and memories and a little bit of everything else thrown in Seamus and Carmel Kiernan were on to us and they said they were at your gig in Longford on Friday night and they said you were just fantastic uh, all together it's a great gig it was like I mean Longford they're, 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 again as I said like we're, we can't believe it like the audience is like they're they sit there, they're ready to be entertained and they take part. I think that's what I'm experiencing with the concert scene. You know, it's a it's a different and a beautiful and isn't it fantastic? Fifty years, for God's sake, you know, did I ever think? That's it. <laughs> it's just just brilliant. And of course, yeah. sadly we lost uh, Dale Hayes, who was so much uh, of importance oh to God. the band uh, as Amazing. well over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he was like, you know, we were a team, right? Yeah. Dale and I fronted the band, as you know, and uh, of course. and uh, he was the funniest, loving, caring, hard-working guy. You know, he uh, he put everything he had into the gig, and uh, we had great crack. He used to like push me around like a doll. <laughs> you know, he was, <laughs> you know, you you wouldn't know what you got until you went out on the stage, and he could be, you know, I could be singing the most beautiful song, and he'd come behind me and he changed the lyric into my ear, and I start <laughs> laughing and. You know, we and Mossy would be telling Lever B and but all of that, the magic of and I think the audience saw that. I think they yes, saw yeah. our tongue in cheek kind of thing and um and and the love that we had for music and we and still have to be I can't I just can't believe it, I suppose. I always love singing and I still love it. I absolutely love it and um as I said earlier, you know, I can't believe yeah. it that it's 50 years. You have the most beautiful voice. I love to hear you singing, particularly you used to sing the Genesean songs, and I think it was the other side of the sun. Other side of the, of the sun. Absolutely yes. gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, just pure gorgeous. And as well as that, I've never been to me. Oh, yes, that the Charlene song, yeah. You know, but, but, but that was Genesean's song before Charlene. Was it? Um, I didn't realise that. It was, a... yes. And I sang that and I recorded it with a Dermot O'Brien, God rest him. Uh, yeah, I had that recorded many, many years ago, but uh, it was Mary McGregor. That was her song. That, that's where I heard that first many, many years ago. Isn't that incredible? I didn't yeah. realise yeah. that at all. It just do, do you still listen out for songs? Because I know you recorded a beautiful version of um, the, the Eddie Reader song recently. But are you still listening out for, for songs? I, 
I, you know what, I'm always listening and I, I would always think I'd love to get back into the studio now and do that. And that's like, I'm, we're releasing, we're releasing um, an album now in the new year, a little bit on for, to coincide with the 50th anniversary. And we're releasing an album of, of, of nostalgia and some newbies in there as well. And it's, uh, it's entitled uh, 50 Songs for 50 Years, which oh, is, wow. you know, which is like, you know, so that's, it, you know, so you would give it that, Fran, when, when it's ready. It's not quite there yet. It's getting packaged and all of that. But yeah, it's, I do. And I sing, I've, I've recorded a few things with my son, Kean, especially church music. I do. Yes, he's a wonderful he's guitarist, a isn't he? He's a classical guitarist. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And, uh, but he's a, he's a musician at heart. And yes. Our pre-Christmas gigs when he was in for Christmas, he joined us on the stage and uh, it was magnificent to have the other voice with the harmonies and the two guitarists playing in harmony for solos. Oh, it was beautiful, Fran. It was, we really enjoyed it. We, had, we sounds, had a fantastic Christmas together. Sounds gorgeous. I remember speaking to um, to uh, Tina, indeed, um, many, many years ago and she was talking about, you know, that it wasn't easy for a girl on on the road. Was that your experience, Tina? And was it difficult at times? <laughs> I would have to say yes. I would th- not 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 a hundred percent, but the boys were the boys and the girls was the girl, right? And the boys got on with things, and um, and the girl was always left. You'd be left on your own, and the lads would be getting on with sound checks. You're hanging around. There was a lot of hanging around, yes. you know, getting to the gig, and but the boys would go up and they'd be tuning for an hour, and you know they were just getting into the groove, and you'd be hanging around waiting. Other than that. It was of his time, like the glamour. What I mean by that is we didn't have a dressing room with a heater or lovely yes, mirrors and things yeah. like that. But that was of his time. You know what I mean? What you never had, you never missed, I think. Yes. You know what I mean? If I remember thinking, um, you were posh more than us other bands because you used to have two minibuses. <laughs> <laughs> and we had airplane seats in our minibus. Ah, stop. Ah, stop. Oh, the luxury did. of it. But yes, you know, Aer Lingus, when they'd be selling off their seats, you know, and um, I'm sure the other bands did it too, and we'd buy the seats and because we're climbing the seats. And yes, we agree, crackling along in the van. I mean, Mossy and Eddie, you know, would be in the front, the elders yes. driving, the, you know, the, the, and Pat and I in the middle seats, and Dale and Tony Brook from your from your station, yeah. the magnificent Tony Brook, and Dale Hayes were in the back. So we were the gigglers in the back, and um, <laughs> the elder lemons were in the front talking very seriously, and we'd been missing. It was, we had, I had an amazing time. Yeah. It, was, it was of its time, if you know what I mean. Of it, course. But for yeah. many of us, part of the sound was Tony, the great Tony Brook, doing MC as well, because he was so enthusiastic about the whole thing. It was brilliant. And it was his life always. You yeah. know, he had interest, he had the history, he had everything, and you know what? I... Recently, somebody requested the song um, "Only You," you know, oh, yeah. to, that, a fan that came to see us many, many years ago. But they heard it on a video. Do you, do you remember um, Mallow, the Majestic and Mallow? Do, it was an amazing gig. Do, indeed, yeah. So Jack O'Rourke was the guy who had that mm-hmm. venue, and before the magic of it all ended, he wanted to record what his gig was like. I suppose, for, yes. you know, for posterity. So. We were there and he recorded our band and that particular song. And we were, when I think about it, it's live, it's all live and it's magic. So, um, you know, Mossy would screech across the, the, the stage, whatever uh, song was coming in, he'd have the song list and he'd screech across. And sometimes, sometimes Tony wouldn't hear it. You know, he might hear Gina, Dale, and he'd 
he couldn't hear the title of the song. And Tony had this thing. There was this couple. I never met the couple. They're probably dead and gone. Peg and Bill, the boys used to talk about it. Mm. So that was the key, Tony was there. And now it's Gina, very specially for Peg and Bill, meaning Tomasi, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) We had our own lingo right across the stage, you know what I mean? And Tony is magic, as you know, he's one of life's gentlemen. And we still... We miss Dale so much, right? He was yeah. like magic, and we will, we will trip. You know, on Friday night we will pay a tribute to him because you know he was like, yeah, we were a great team. Yeah, we so were, I, and we miss him. I suppose any time you go on stage, you remember him. I'm sure you know. We do every day because, yeah. as I said, we could hear something and we'd start laughing because. Somebody might say something, but he would have put his own twist on it. And we think of what he had thought about it. And they were always funny, of course. And, uh, you know, anyway, magic. He was magic. Rest peacefully, Dale. The TD Martin Brown was on to us to say that, and and again, like myself, Dundrum and New Year's Eve back in the day, I met my wife at one of those nights there. Oh, my God. There you go. How how did that begin, by the way? You, You did that for many years, didn't you, in Dundrum? We did, you know, way back then, you know, our, our manager, right, at the time was Tony Byrne, and mm. then we went then we went on to, um, to Oliver Barry. Mm. And, but way back then, um, one day in the year, Tony Byrne, our manager, would sit down and give four gigs to each venue all around the country. So in one day, our diary would be full for a year. Wow. Now, it could be like in the north, <laughs> Friday night and Saturday night you'll be in Kerry yes. you know like, it was like, they used to say like that they threw darts at, these, <laughs> at, at, at the map but yeah. that's how that, that's how it worked you know when we were we were everywhere but Dundrum was very special yeah. and we used to go in what was so special about it we'd go in afterwards then toss Crow and his family into the bar for tea we didn't drink then we'd have the tea and we'd have the sandwiches ready and there was a, an amazing man and they called him Billy B and he was a traditional mouth organ player and he used to, he'd say we'd say okay Billy what are you going to play and he'd say the Sligo Maid and he'd play that and it was so innocent but fantastic you know it was really was uh, I'll right. always, yeah. Yeah, they were great days, uh, great Gina. Days. That's that's for sure. If great people want to book tickets, there's still a few tickets left for for. for there's private. a few. Yeah. There's a few, and you know, I'm go- I'll give I'll give, and I'm have a special guest with me as well, who is an amazing friend of ours. You know, um, so maybe Mark Roberts. Oh, I'm after saying it. I can't. I can't. I was going to. I was going to give away two tickets and say, who is Gina's special guest on the night? And I'm after saying it already. Uh, what's your but mind? We can't why, do that. Now. Why not? Well, it's Blue Monday, so we can be generous today. So if if you can, if you can tell First us who is the First. special guest on uh, Friday night, it's oh eight three three double one double three double one. By the way, if you want to book tickets, it's oh six two six double one. Double two. That will get you straight through to Ronan and the crew there. 0626 or indeed you can book uh, online if you go on to the website there. So people can expect all the hits. Um, some memories it's as well? Memories, bit of chat. Yes, they can. And um, yeah, and you know that theatre is a beautiful theatre. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, yeah. you've, you've done it and it's like there's something very special about it and the people who are running it. Like it's it's a dream to go into. It's it's fantastic and we're so looking forward to it. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about the champions, Gina, the national champions, but in all those years, you know, the people behind the scenes and especially our roadie who was from Shielding, Jerry Henneberry, right? He was he still is our roadie and we're all together. So he's the 
he's, he was like the seventh member of, of our band, really. So a big love to him and to thank him for, because he was running around all over Christmas looking after us and everything else. So Jerry will be there as well. Very good indeed. Well, we wish you the very, yeah. very best indeed for Friday night. That number to book tickets again, 062-61122. My best to Pat and Mossy and Lady and all the gang there. And good to talk to you, Gina. And happy new to you and yours and all the listeners, Fran, and thank you for everything. Bye-bye, Gina. Bye-bye, lovely Gina. That's uh, Gina and the champions. Let's have another memory from them. Boys, that's uh, Gina and the champions making their way to Brewbrew this coming Friday night. Her own Tony Brook will be there, of course, as well. If you want to book tickets, it's 0626112. Now, um, uh, Gina's guest on the night, of course, is Mark Roberts, correctly spotted by Cora Butler from Kilcommon, who wears a pair, uh, wins a, a pair of tickets for that gig in Brewbrew on Friday night. So, Cora, I know you will have a fantastic time there all together. Somebody was on to me uh, because I mentioned uh, that I meant uh, the gentleman in Kill in County Waterford yesterday, 103 years old, and he was dancing around the place. And one of our listeners saying, did you ask him what his secret is? Well, I didn't get much time. I know that Muriel um, asked him from the stage and he just said good living and good food and all of that uh, kind of thing. But he certainly uh, was a marvellous man, 103 years old and still out dancing. Isn't that fantastic? That's it from me for today. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen has the time tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.